Happy Saturday morning, friends. I just made myself a big batch of pancakes, and here's why. I have never made pancakes before about two weeks ago when I decided to look up a recipe, and I'm talking flour, uh, baking powder, egg into a bowl, that sort of pancake making. And since I've done that, it's been, um, I'd say at least every five days or so, pancakes for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Um, my go-to is chocolate chips or Nutella or bananas. That being said, I don't know if it's the richest meal in nutrients. So after I record this, I'm going to go for a lengthy bike ride and appreciate the beautiful day outside. It's been raining a lot here in Michigan, and the rate at which the trees are growing is something I've never paid attention to before, but they sprout remarkably fast. Each day there's a, a dramatic jump in their, in their maturity, and I'm appreciative of that. It's really beautiful to see. I can feel it inside and out. Speaking of feeling inside and out, I am so ecstatic to introduce my two guests today, the parts of North Americans, a beautiful, beautiful musical act who released their album Roped In last year. Patrick and Barry, wow, man. It's been such a beautiful time sitting with them and experiencing their thoughts and experiencing how they see the world. There's some of those guests where I don't have expectations going in and then it ends up going to a place that I'm very thankful for. And the artist who did the cover for this album, Brian Blumerth, he and I also spoke. I will be publishing that episode tomorrow on Sunday, uh, the Lord's Day, as it were. So I hope you enjoy my talk with Barry and Patrick. I learned a lot about fly fishing that I had no anticipation of learning about, um, as well as mineral extraction and geology. So you never know where things are going to go. And I hope you enjoy listening to these conversations as much as I did. And I hope you give North American's album a try because it will slow your blood down, ease the mind, and uh, maybe just put you to sleep. I hope you have a wonderful day. How's your coffee tasting this morning? Good, good. I'm uh, I'm obsessed with espresso, and I've had an espresso machine at home, thankfully, for a couple of years now, and it made the quarantine version of uh, <laughs> staying caffeinated a lot easier mm-hmm. um, than when I used to like go to the coffee shop or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just the morning. It's like I'm not that routine-based of a human, but except for this, like it's just a start to the day feels good mm-hmm. um, so yeah I dig it so you drink coffee daily then yeah just just in the morning I'm not really in a, I think in a good way I'm not like so reliant and I'm not you know going like at 3pm every day I'm not like doubling <laughs> back down but uh, hmm. it is hard for me to like get started in the morning without it though do you usually just do one cup a day then yeah yeah exactly yeah hmm. that's warm what do you what do you usually do when you drink your coffee? Do you sit? Do you read? Do you scroll? Do you look out and some view? That's a good question. I mean, I I think uh, for the most part, I I wander where I am right now. I have 
just a nice little yard at my house in LA and uh, mm. it just kind of especially you know it's hard to even almost think back before last year but especially in the quarantine sort of version of things we're just at home so much but uh, feels like a little bit of separation just getting out into mm-hmm. the yard and not being inside and obviously you know we're have good pretty much temperate weather year round mm-hmm. in this year to go like even this morning this is as cold as it as it gets, I think we had a frost warning overnight, and it's probably like 50 degrees right now, but it still feels <laughs> <laughs> absolutely beautiful with the sun shining and stuff. Um, yeah. I'm in Michigan right now, and I just woke up to uh, several feet of snow, so <laughs> I've got a different... <laughs> I, yeah, slightly different. I mean, I, I'm from Boston, and uh, yeah. I lived in Vermont, Vermont for five years, so I, I, I know it, but I, I'm certainly <laughs> removed from... The, the classic winter uh, <laughs> feeling at this point. How'd you make the move out there? Um, uh, my, it was kind of like something I've always, for my, my mom and uh, lives out here in, in the desert of Palm Springs, and she grew up here. Wow. And my, our whole lives as, as kids, we would always, most summers, come out here for a fairly long time, for like a month when we were really young. And, um, because my mom's whole family was was out in the uh, Los Angeles area, mm-hmm. and so I don't know. I just kind of fell in love with it. And, um, I moved, a, I mean, a decent amount back east. Like I grew up in DC and moved to Boston and um, bounced around a little. And so I never really felt like super connected to a place, anyways. Yeah. And um, always loved it. Always loved California, and I, I really didn't connect that much with Boston, which is where I went to like high school and stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, I. I by the time, you know, I did the, right after college, like, you know, lived in Vermont, lived in Boston, then moved to New York and, you know, had a wonderful time there. But it was always this kind of thing where I was like, I just kind of want to get out west and see if I, if it works, yeah. if it works there. And, and uh, I, I've kind of, once I got here and at least found a way to make it work, I, uh, I've i always just loved it, you know, and, yeah. and stuck with it. Do you find yourself uh, looking to the access to nature as a reason why as opposed to living in a city I mean I think the the, the connection you know it's, it's, it's tough for me because in the northeast you know, I still so value the connection to nature there mm-hmm. and you know one of the through my best bud and kind of label partner um, Joel Ford who, who is an incredible producer and musician you know when I lived in New York he when he was there as well I, I lived you know kind of classic like Seinfeldian like across the street scenario <laughs> and um, he got me into fly fishing there whoa um, which is now a pretty deep obsession and and uh, out here it's incredible for that and so like most of my outdoorsiness is, is centered around uh, fishing which is like super wonderful here but also it's great it's great in Michigan. It's great in yeah. it's great in the Northeast. <laughs> There's also, there, you know, it's, it's it's an interesting. Our country has weirdly wonderful for it in so many spots, mm-hmm. but definitely here. Like I feel I feel the ease of access to getting out, um, but also for whatever reason, you know, I, I people talk about this a decent amount. But I've I'm a kind of classic homebody, and so like just I know, especially now, rents and stuff in these major metros are are really bad. Mm-hmm. But if there was, you know, there's still the classic situation here where, like, I live in a in a house, not an apart, an equivalent apartment. So the yeah. space matters to me, and um, 
the kind of like this weird mixture of of city and suburb, like having all the community here of music and 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 art and all the you know before the pandemic, all the venues and stuff, but also just kind of I'm in this little residential quiet <laughs> neighborhood. And, <laughs> feels like I could sort of be anywhere it's a really nice hybrid yeah um, and then certainly kind of to your point like you know to go two hours out of the city be in the mountains or be at the beach or you know driving up the coast like certainly uh, a nice pivot as well yeah um, so yeah what do you what do you fill your space with in your home is it are there plants is it sparse or what does it look like yeah I my partner Life, Phoebe is incredible at mm-hmm. you know kind of interior dec- decorating mm-hmm. stuff and takes that to a whole new level. But you know we have, I think yeah, a lot lots of nice little plants, and knickknacks. You know, kind of t- almost typical of like the Southern <laughs> California, like half pop, sort of modern, sort of rustic <laughs> feel. Um, our our home is a you know we we rent and whoever bought it before us kind of like did a kind of a classic flip on like a craftsman yeah. house and but it, it you know and it but it mostly in a, they, they didn't do a horrible job it's not too tacky or anything but it's a beautiful you know the, the neighborhood's cool and it, it still has that like kind of craftsman looking front and stuff and yeah. it's, a, it's a definitely we've three four years and it feels like home for for sure and you know the main the main thing is that's been wonderful and is it has a little garage and joel again my partner at driftless had for the last three years had a, his studio like his nine to five basically he would come over every day you know work out of the studio in my backyard and wow. he moved out kind of upgrade kind of upgraded to a to a new space really just down the road and so now i'm have more space and more freedom in there kind of as like a second place to make music and uh-huh. and and work and you know it's just that weird thing i've always connected with where it's yeah literally i'm staring at it right now 10 feet from my back door but <laughs> just having that separation of a few just a little bit of separation it just does it does feel like a separate workspace and it feels more private and i feel like i'm not bothering um my girlfriend and or her brother who we live with and like i just mm-hmm. don't it just has that weird thing like i could be 20 minutes down the road but i'm yeah. really just i'm just in my own yard <laughs> so that's uh you know where i feel lucky to have to have that here um yeah especially at this time where it's hard to do much else absolutely man so you mentioned fishing. Did you say fly fishing? Yes. Yeah. Can, can you tell me some more about that? I'm I'm pretty unfamiliar with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's, it's uh, understandably sort of like mysterious generation <laughs> of, of of fishing, and it's funny. Like every time I go or have a picture of a fish, and you know, people are like, you know, you take it at home, and it's like, no, it's it's pretty much just like a masochistic uh, sport, <laughs> but it's it's a beautiful one and. You, know, you basically fish with with artificial flies only, meaning it's, there's no bait on them, and okay. they're really just these these beautiful um, flies that are fashioned, you know, on a very very simple hook, and then you're using materials now some synthetic, but more historically, you know, feathers and other organic materials to to imitate, you know, the the, the wildlife, insects, etc. That fish the trout yeah. might might be eating. Um, and so it's you know I think even in it's even how it's presented it's just like kind of zen like quest you know you're out there all day and and it's 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 definitely challenging that you're purposely putting these limiting factors on uh on fishing opposed to just like you 
what you could obviously do to, to catch more fish and to, yeah. uh, you know, in a more exploitive way. Um, but for me, you know, the real draw to it is trout fishing, which is mostly what you're fishing for in fly fishing, mm-hmm. um, almost always is at elevation and in pretty remote places. So like where you, even as a beginner, which is a really challenging phase of the sport, it's pretty unforgiving. It's like annoying. You're <laughs> getting tangled all the time and you're picking <laughs> your fingers with the hooks and you're not catching any fish. Like it's, <laughs> the learning curve is a little bit steep. Yeah. And, but I got stuck and just fell in love with it so much because you, you literally are in nature and, and usually these hyper scenic, for, for really long stretches and my initial foray thankfully led by a lot of great friends were on these trips we have like a group of guys that go on an annual trip yeah and so even i was kind of jumping in on the annual trip <laughs> even as a beginner but yeah. we've been to incredible spots you know yosemite and yellowstone and and wow. you know deep montana is pretty much the annual location and so it's for me it's been my deepest dive into nature generally like it's it's the thing i've always kind of said about it that's unique is you know if you're going on a hike i mean sort of you know being like a proper backpacker and going on like these deep missions that's like something i've never really done but yeah that fishing to me feels it's really close to that where you're one you're like laden in the gear like you have waders on so you can really just you're forging across you're getting to places that you don't go on a hike you know because you're you're capable of, of that and and then you're out there for 12 plus hours in a way that like if i was just going on a hike to kind of like see something beautiful i would never interact with the landscape as as meaningfully you know mm-hmm. um and so it's yeah it's this unique thing that kind of like i was always appreciative of the outdoors and always interested in like visually you know it was inspiring to me per se but fly fishing brought a whole nother level of connection and of interest um and uh and, and in a great way, it's like you know, you're, it's catch and release. You're we're not you're not taking these fish out. There's a lot of respect and and thought. You know, that's not maybe every fisherman, but there's certainly you know these these rivers were ravaged sort of by the generation before us. And mm-hmm. There's some amazing populations still left, but you know, like most things, <laughs> we kind of overdid it uh, uh, in our in our history of leading up yeah. um, to this. Like even in the even in the 80s, 90s there are some fisheries that were just so much more productive than, than they are now. Um, but so a lot of the like conservation effort has led people that are still interested in this weird, weird old sport. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, it's something that I really dig and there's a spot about four hours north of LA called Bishop. Mm. And it's, it's in like, it's near Mount Whitney, which is kind of like a tourist zone and mammoth lakes, uh, but it's this beautiful elevation area and there's these couple rivers up there that are amazing and you know to be able to go up there just for a weekend and really totally detether and do something that i i love it's it's a, it's a great draw and, and something that you know it's really feels special about the zone hmm. here my recollection of fishing from when i was younger was mostly a lot of quiet is that the case when you go fishing even with larger groups is it usually more of a meditative event or is there Definitely. hooting and hollering Definitely. I mean, that, <laughs> that's kind of the, one of the great things about it even with a group is I mean, you really can't be all that you're, you don't go close to one another for a, a variety of reasons mm-hmm. both in 
just terms of casting and just the required space and you know seeking some of that meditative aspect and also not spooking the fish and you know you're trying to spread out um, but even here you know usually I'll go by myself or with or my or just my friend Joel who kind of got me into this sport which is I love the big group trips it's also like it is a wonderful way to do it and then you know once you're off the river and you come home and you know if you got a little cabin or you're camping you know you obviously have fun <laughs> have some beers or whatever but uh but you know, while you're out there it did for me I mean shit you know it's like definitely the longest stretches I'm away from my phone away from my computer wow. like you know I know those are stereotypical like things but it it definitely you you're you're really occupied and it mm-hmm. it's pretty transportive in a in a productive way like you really can't fiddle with that stuff <laughs> while you're while you're in the element so um, you know, short of catching a, a beautiful photograph or something, your phone's pretty much yeah. locked away. Um, so, yeah. walk, walk me through, you. so you go to stand out, walk me through casting, waiting, getting a fish, acquiring it, pulling it out, looking at it, like what those feelings are sure. like, and then, and then how you release it, or however that works. Yeah, yeah. So, my version of it, um, is, is slightly different because I do a style called Tenkara, which is this Japanese oh. style of fly fishing. That's even more rudimentary. Like, if you can picture it's like a, technically a telescoping rod, so it like, okay. it kind of pulls out on each other like a Russian doll type looking thing. Mm. Um, and, uh, but it's just a, essentially a stick with a, with line attached to the top. There's no <laughs> reel at all. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, which is, you know, custom rod, you know, reel is, part of it's different than you know what what we'd call you know a spin rod or you know what a bass fisherman or right. someone would use but so tenkara has no reel at all and literally just basically a stick and a line which is pretty wildly simplistic but it's something that i really got into and uh just an initial book i was given sort of got me on the like start super simple and especially the sport has been like pushed into a super technical lane these days just like mm-hmm. everything like all the fly fishing companies are like super teched out and there's endless <laughs> gear and you can spend infinite, you know, it's kind of a high end sport in that way too. If you want to, you can just go down this rabbit hole, but then also at this, at this, at the base of it, it's a pretty simple thing, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I, I connected with, with that aspect as I tend to do and including my music and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 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 so when you, when you're going out, you know, I'll use this area, this Owens River area, as an example. It's it's this beautiful river basin. It, there's mountains on either side, and there's just a, a river carving through almost like a meadow. So it's it's really this is a great spot for it because it's user friendly in the sense that sometimes or a lot of marching through the woods or you're there's tons of brush or trees around you that change how you're casting. Uh-huh. But in this example, it's just you're it's kind of you and the river. You know, yeah. you're elevated a little bit above it. Um, and so when you, you know, you park your car, you're going out, um, and you know, you're just kind of assessing some conditions, some, some, you know, the more typical things would be like, what, what insects are in the air? You look for a hatch, like you overturn a rock and you're, mm-hmm. you're literally trying to mimic wow. the, the exact food that they're, that they're eating in real time. But, you know, you can get fly reports, the fly shot, every like major trout fishery that's of note is going to have a fly shop there that yeah. will give you information usually even on like a whiteboard outside you don't even have to like necessarily go in and they'll be like here's what we recommend for for this stretch of river you wow know, these, that's really interesting these 
classic flies or whatever. And you know, there's there's also different theories on like, you know, how much does matching exactly matter? How much is it more about size? You know, there's all this science uh-huh. behind like what does the fish actually want from you? You know, and from food. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways, you're kind of assessing the the, the water and in a cool way, which isn't always the case in this particular stretch of river, you can often see them. Uh, you know, they're very camouflaged trout in general, but it's a pretty pristine river and there's, it's not hyper rapidy. So you can kind of see what's going on and, mm. and, you know, you'll just start kind of figuring out where your first spot and just get out there and, uh, start casting. I usually have just a fly already on, so I don't overthink it too much and then just see if it's, if it's taking. And I've, I've tried to have this method where I'm kind of using a, a small bevy of flies. Cause again, like you go down this rabbit hole of, of <laughs> experimentation, hmm. your, your trial and error, and, you know, countless things. Um, mm-hmm. But to me, that takes a little bit of the, the zen out of it when you're like constantly rethinking and reinventing yeah. and yeah. trying stuff. Um, and, and so you're mostly, you know, you're usually walking upstream because face upstream with the current, they mostly just hang like in a passive sort of swim where they're, they're looking upstream and, and getting food that's just coming down the current to them. Mm. Um, and that can that could be in the col- in the water column, just like you know, a little small dead bug that's already sunk down in the middle, or it could be something on the top, like a, like an insect that is struggling that landed on the surface, and they can go up and swoop, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you just kind of try to see what what behaviors. Do you see anything on the top? You, if you can sense if you see fish hitting the surface, you'll notice like a little ripple, or you can see them like you know really smash the surface and and like cause a disruption then you would be like, okay, I'm going to fly, I'm going to fish a fly that, that light floats on a cock, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so in this particular area, this time of year I went, it was my, my favorite trip this year, is hopper season, which is when all these grasshoppers Ooh. breed and they're out in huge numbers and they, when they just flop around, they just flop into the, flop into the river and that's like a super juicy meal for a, for a growing fish because it's, you know, super protein packed. Mm-hmm. thing and they when they fall onto the surface of the river they're just kind of disabled for the fish to go eat um and you know literally i remember i walked up i saw a, a grasshopper just fall right in i was like oh, i'm gonna i gotta throw i gotta cast these in <laughs> um, so you're you know so yeah first thing is just kind of like figuring out what your approach is going to be and then just going out and and giving it a shot um how do you cast and, a you know, rod how do you cast a rod that doesn't have the the like line whatever how you spin it in as you would a typical rod yeah the real yeah the real how would basically you can still you know you're basically just just like a tension game so yeah like with tenacara you're not doing even if you look at like a typical fly fishing video or or a movie you know river runs through it or some some media like you know they're doing these big sweeping casts and and getting a lot of line out there tenacara you're kind of more flicking it very simple motion but since it's so the line is so I, you still have around 20 feet of line out okay. so you, you, you are getting you're still flicking this thing fairly far but it's not this robust swing <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know yeah. um, and then once once if you can imagine like once the fly hits the river um, you know you're sort of casting upstream and then if you can imagine the fly is sweeping down the water will then tighten out and give you oh. a taut tension mm-hmm. and then that kind of is almost that loads that loads your cast for you because it it's already tightened out the the line and all you do is like roll your your wrist over and it flicks it back to the top of the stream and you just keep you know you're kind of like using that 
the, the tension of the river to kind of like slingshot your right. your rod when you your line when you flip it. Um, and so that's kind of when when I'm catching the vast majority of fishing that I'm doing is like in two styles, like nymphing, which is when it's subsurface, which is you know the the basic logic there, and they've learned over time is by far the most productive way to fish because they're really smart, efficient creatures, and so they basically don't waste energy and calories to go for things far away from them. Mm-hmm. So you basically have to put it in front of them because they're just going to sit there and eat your stuff that does because they don't want to burn, you know, extra calories going for like some small, minuscule meal. Yeah. Um, and so, but for a lot of time, a classic, like the, our dad's version of fly fishing or whatever, everyone did dry fly fishing on the surface because it's more exciting to see a fish, mm-hmm. you know, rise and, and hit a fly like a shark or whatever on the surface of, of the water. And it was a bit easier when there was a lot more fish in there. And that's kind of why you get these these concepts of like you know, can only fish at this time of day and this and that because those were more typically the times of day that that fish were rising to the surface to hit some sort of hatch that was taking place or whatever but since then they've just studied the species more and, and even competition fishermen have like <laughs> just like more meticulously figured things out and so it's it's different but you're you, know, you have a little bit of weight on the on the Eat like a little bead on the head of it, or whatever it might be, and it's mimicking more of like something that might be subsurface, under underwater, or even a stage of a of a hatch of an insect that might actually rise out of the water. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you're still just kind of flicking it up, and then you're naturally you're trying to create this extremely natural drift that really allows the current to do its thing. Because any interruption that you give will alert the fish to sort of that it's a not it's like a synthetic. Yeah. situation like they'll be they'll, they'll be triggered if you start like you randomly like jolted in a way or, or something your your line is gets caught on a on a bog or something and it messes with the float they're gonna be like what what you know that's that's fishy or whatever um <laughs> that's fishy <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> um so so you're kind of just repeating this motion um you know in, in this there's a lot of different ways you can fish things but for this purpose, you're kind of repeating this this relatively simple casting method, and you're trying to cover cover ground because you know if you do a bunch of casts in a certain area, like especially as a beginner, I'd kind of get zoned in. You'd be like, "This looks perfect. I know there's fish in there." Hmm. You spend 40 minutes trying to hit the same little thing, and in reality, like that odds of a fish like not you know if it was appealing to them, they would have gotten <laughs> they would have gone for it uh, off the top, you know. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, and you keep moving down, and then when a fish strikes, one of the things I love about Tinkara is even if it's underwater, even if it's this like subtle motion, you know, fish basically just, the trout basically just kind of almost like sips in. They kind of just like, it's not this hugely like bite, if you mm-hmm. can imagine. They kind of like sip it in. And so it's a really, it can be a subtle, even for a sizable fish, it can be a subtle feeling. But wow. one of the advantages of Tinkara is that the line, since it's literally tied to the top of your your rod whereas with the rod and reel it comes through these little eye hook kind of looking yeah, uh, holes yeah. and then it goes down to your reel so you don't have this like super connection to that that, that sense of it's like all right you really even the smallest thing you know and then you have to set the hook um like pull you pull in some direction to try mm-hmm. to actually get get the fish to like have it lodged in their mouth mm-hmm. um and that's tough it's you miss a lot of fish that way you're learning you know it, it's such a quick reaction. They'll spit it right out when they realize it's not something worth eating. Um, and so it's kind of this dance of, of 
that reaction time of trying to set set the hook in and then once it's in it's still no <laughs> guarantees and <laughs> you know it's kind of a, a, a funny and also it's in car it's a funny dance because with no reel you don't just you can't just reel in the fish so yeah how do you get you it in line out it's just it's funny it's the most awkward and sort of funny <laughs> part but you and also because you know you have more line out like you, you can't just like you know if you're rod in your right hand you can't just like there's 20 feet is still too much line to just like you know, hold your arm in a funny way that it's going to pull it all the way out of the water. It's not, there's too much right, line for right. that to happen. So basically what you do is you want to tire out the fish a little and you kind of work with them and you also don't want to just put max tension on them because it can just, they could break it off if you're, if you're pulling too aggressively uh-huh. against where they want to go. So it's kind of this dance of like, you let them run for a little, you, you pull some tension when, when you want to slow them down a bit. And mostly what I'm trying to do is, is usher them to a, sh- a shallow area where it's really easy for me to have my my net which is in my left hand to kind of just like get them through a motion where they're going to swim by me and i'll i'll net them um, oh, as wow. they go by uh um depending on the size of fish they're just more manageable or not uh-huh. um and uh, but it's definitely like there's always stages like right first was like can i can i literally just go out for a day and not have it be miserable and like not have to ask my friend to like tie on my flies for me (laughs) you know getting past the small stuff and then it was holy shit like i'm occasionally i'm the quality of life is higher i'm occasionally (laughs) getting fish to bite but i can't i can't set it i'm struggling to set it and then you get past that hurdle but man i don't even want to think about doing it because that's a whole other question so i need (laughs) if i'm with someone i'm just the second i get a fish i'm just gonna be like yell for their name to come come net it for for me and then finally you know it's definitely a breakthrough for me when it was like Holy shit, I'm catching my own fish and I'm netting them myself. Like all these pieces are, you know, aligning uh-huh. or whatever, um, which is a rewarding part. But um, it's definitely like I'm still even I'm like, you know, five, five years in. Yeah. And I'm still still feel very much like certainly know what I'm doing. And I've spent a lot of hours out there. But man, it's le- it's <laughs> certainly a, one of those lifelong yeah. high ceiling hobbies where you're you really you're tumbling to see how challenging mm-hmm. it is and I'm glad I'm at a point where I can just go to a river and, and I can do it but at the same time it's fun to know that like you're constantly learning and, and evolving and then you know they're still crazy I don't know if you ever lose it I mean I see it with my friends that are more advanced than me but when you get that fish I mean these trout are extremely beautiful fish and there is this you know you're exhilarated it's a weird it's a it's just a shocking moment almost and um and, you know, you the, mostly want to keep them in the river, in the water, keep them wet is like the little hashtag, mm-hmm. try, like conservation type thing. Like, obviously, it's a stressful experience. You know, you can try to say that, you know, it's still a stressful experience for the fish, no matter what. You know, you're yeah. not taking them out. You're not killing them. You're not taking them home. But certainly it's not normal for a fish to be jostled around like that. Try not to, like, bring them into open air too much or do anything that would further, you know, cause any trauma or, 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 or just tiredness or whatever. And mm. so... You know, you just dislodge the the fly, which you know again can it's a skill that you get better at. You have these little tongs. You can usually just do it with your with your hand and just make sure the then you usually you'll if the fish is especially tired, you'll kinda like almost run it back and forth in the water so it gets oxygen, you know, like wow. as if it was in a, a current to just kinda revitalize it. Because you know, sometimes it can be a little stunt. Yeah. And then you'll they'll release it and usually they just you know, whip out and go back about there about their way um, so when you get it in the net 
when once you get it in the net, yeah. what do you do from there? So you don't pull it out. You just kind of look at it, or yeah, you'll because you, again, you're you're in sort of like this, you're usually in pretty shallow water. This yeah, yeah, and that's like kind of like think about it almost like in between your legs, but it's mostly in the water. Okay, yeah, but it's still secured, so the fish isn't gonna jump out or flop out. And yeah, usually you'll get out the get the fly out, and then you'll you know depending on if you want to you know take a picture or memorialize it in some way. It's like this is the fish I grabbed, you know. And then you just kind of make sure it's it's healthy and that you didn't do anything overly, you know. It just makes sure it, it's gonna it can leave on its own, so you're not just like leaving a stunned fish to die or right. something like that, you know. Wow. Um, and then just release it. Yeah, like ninety percent of the time they're they're ready to <laughs> ready to go mm-hmm. um, and just get out of your your presence. But um, sometimes they're pretty they're pretty tired out. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, each fish has a little bit of a different behavior and the different species there's brown trout and rainbow trout are these two different species that mostly populate these these areas and uh they're super beautiful and um you know the fi- i'm mostly fishing for stuff that's like you know eight to 14 inches like a really manageable pretty juvenile fish and mm-hmm. you can certainly go really try to get these big fish but i'm definitely at this point where they're big and you see it's exciting but at the same time i just i'm just still at the point of the sport where any any catching anything still feels so wonderful and exciting and you know just thankful to make it to make it happen and stuff where um and in these fisheries some of the huge fish and stuff are are less common or or they they hang in lakes you know usually these rivers are connected to lakes and there's different spawning and breeding habits and things that determine where the big ones go and where everyone's at based on the on time of year and seasonal things and stuff but um it's fast. It's really fascinating, and I'm I'm very thankful that um, I kind of got ushered into the to the sport. Honestly, it's it's definitely mm-hmm. changed my life in certain ways, and things. I'll always have a, a hobby that I I think <laughs> I really pursue in, in the outdoors, which you know is an exciting one. So did you, did you get to choose the the vinyl color variant, the rainbow trout one? Was that your doing? Yeah. So it was well in a cool way. I, basically, when I, when we were deciding on the vinyl variant it was more just like hey like these let's pick a few colors uh-huh. like kind of like let's do a splatter let's, let's pick some colors from the vinyl like color scheme and maybe get a splatter and then yeah third man was like hey we actually recently i think it was for margo price or some other release they've done uh-huh. they had something kind of similar and they're like how about this and i'm like oh man this let's <laughs> like apply this effect to some of our colors yeah and then actually someone at the third man team uh dubbed it, <laughs> did it rainbow trout which i i love <laughs> and you know we've had both records have had a, a bit of a theme from or at least some Easter eggs of fishing adjacent stuff that Brian yeah. has done some incre- incredible work and mo- both records I kind of just didn't give him much direction but you know gave him some, some reference images or some stories even of just like some of the the, the fishing trips and some of the things that I wanted to capture yeah. uh, in the yard and he, he clearly just is such a wonderful world builder and brings such a uh, an exciting take to to that so you know I didn't want it to be like heavy handed like this is outdoor music and you know whatever it's like you know it, it, I'm glad he he makes it so engaging and fun and just feels less hokey when you like I didn't want like a landscape photograph or, right. or whatever and so so much so much more compelling to me that he puts his spin on it and you know I just give him a little bit of what I feel is important to me referentially yeah I, th- I think it's one of the most beautiful album covers I've seen like it caught my eyes so quick. I don't. I was just on Spotify because I've 
just recently found out that American Primitive is a genre at all. Like, I didn't really know that was a thing, and so I've just been consuming as much of that as I can. And I saw that cover, and I recognized Brian's work from his Bicycle Day uh, comic book. Yeah. And I was like, is, it, is, this, this, yeah. is this the same guy? <laughs> and then, of, of course, like, the music just immediately got me, too. So I, how did you end up working with Brian? So, yeah, Brian, um, I was just similar to your experience in a way. Like, I was just a fan of his work, but mostly through a great friend and, and constant sort of art mentor, uh, Nick Gason, who's a wonderful artist in his own right. And, mm-hmm. uh, he was kind of art editor, art editor advice for a long time. He, he did the, I don't know, his main, like, goofy claim to fame. I'm sure he'd be mad I didn't say it, but it's like the Run the Jewels hand. Wow. Uh, they're like hand logo. Um, but he's an incredible artist and incredible guy. And, he had I worked with him just in different projects throughout the years, mm-hmm. but he's always turned me on to, to to a bevy of artists that I've always like. His taste is just incredible. And so when he put me on a Brian stuff, and I, I saw Brian's like mo- like he he'd been touching on certain musical projects, but I was always blown away. I was like, how is this guy not just in the regular rotation for album art? Right. And <laughs> so when I when I got interested in was going steady my my first kind of foray into more Americrative where before it I was making like heavier drone, drone and yeah, yeah. almost like noisy, noisier music um, one of my first like first feelings of, of conviction really with the project was you know partially driven the fact that I ran a, a label that is ambient leaning and has so over like I've been hit over the head so much by like Wyndham Hill aesthetics and you know modern new like new age and ambient uh Visuals, like so yeah. I, I just so clearly I knew my conviction was I knew what I did, which is that, <laughs> there, you know, <laughs> and as much and I've you know my whole life admired that stuff, and we really mirror Driftless the way we structured the label as, as an homage to a lot of that cult. Uh-huh. But yeah, at a certain point you just get tired of of an aesthetic, and then also with instrumental music, there's so little narrative built in to the music, sans lyrics, and and so I. I think what really caught my eye about how Brian Brian's approach to to art is the characters, it's the world building, it's it's giving some meaning uh, and setting a tone with the with the world of characters in a way that I was hoping was engaging and, and sort of fun and informative to the listener and trying to keep it trying to lean more it, it, like fun and engaging in that way, opposed to like trying to put it as this this Americana museum piece or something like that or <laughs> yeah. you know something that not saying that's the quality but just like you know sometimes ambient music instrumental music can be put in this box of being endemic or yeah. or something more that lane and that's that's what I knew I didn't want to pursue so yeah once Brian I basically just hit up Nick and I was like hey I love Brian's stuff and he, he linked us and uh, Brian was really uh, gracious and nice about the tunes and very quickly just started spawning these amazing ideas and you know now I really I've said it before in different little contexts but I really view him as you know part of the at least this era of the project I mean he's he I really don't think people would receive it the same way I think especially going today which I really my, myself you know which did, it still quote unquote did like well or something within mm-hmm. certain communities and the response was better than I expected and I, I do think it's partly because his his visuals and sight and, and it, it come, like garner a feeling of of interest in, in people, and especially like from a record store standpoint. My hope was always, hey, if this is on the if this is on the wall, 
and there's a sticker that explains that it's, you know, instrumental or American primitive. When you pair those two ideas, there's going to be a lot of collector types or yeah. nerds that are excited. <laughs> Absolutely. Man. Um, and so that was, you know, and that's what we control, man. And that's even the thing I love about Third Man was like, just let's focus on stores, let's focus on vinyl, and let's focus on what we can control because we don't really have any way to like maximize Spotify with this music. If they <laughs> engage with it, great. If they don't, right. whatever. But I think I've always had this interest in just more of the real organic thing. Like I think everyone does with music industry. Like you'll take your Spotify gains when they come, but hmm. for the most part, you're just trying to engage with humans and <laughs> you know this art and, and his approach and the approach to releasing it has always just been like, I hope people can find this and connect with this. And Brian's art has made me feel like it gave it the best chance. And it certainly hmm. feels like people bring it up all the time and on Instagram and people tagging it. I just feel like it's, people really do like it, which is fun, fun for me as a fan of his, you know, yeah. to just be connected to it. So. Absolutely. How did you go from uh, dronier music to the softer guitar type? Yeah, so one, all the initial stuff, like my drone stuff was, and the heavier stuff was all still composed on guitar, and guitar was my instrument, and even though it was all mangled and, yeah. and heavier, it, it it was rooted in that, and some of, I think, the Genesis, there's a few little spots, but one was, I kind of had these realizations of a few shows I was playing as North Americans before guitar, like, I was at my laptop, and there's some fun shows, but mostly I was like, man, I... I was in like goofy bands before and stuff and it just felt weird like not performing in a more real way yeah and even though live performance has never been like a huge part of the project it's still this thing where I was like this is weird like I want to make some stuff that <laughs> is more more applicable to a live performance and that was one initial idea and then when it crystallized further is with Driftless um, you know kind of earlier on too I was already like a little frustrated with some of the the, like ambient revival stuff like <laughs> not like I was bitter you know about it like I'm happy that there was a moment there but then it just felt like everyone was things just for the sake of it or, or whatever and so we had done these ambient compilations which were really fun they used like a way for kind of like a pop ambient like compact type concept but like it was just a way for, for us we reached out to a lot of our friends that are musicians that I knew like had an interest in ambient or or were making on the side, but like there was never a, a avenue for their release via their current label project or artist project. And so it was mm -hmm. like a fun way to just like get more of that out there. Yeah. But once I got a little bit, I was a little like burnt out on just pure ambient like concepts. And we did an instrumental compilation, which mm -hmm. I absolutely loved. And it's looking back still one of my favorite things we ever put out. But you know, just some, some solo guitar, some solo piano, some solo cello. And there's a little bit of rules of just like, limit the effects there wasn't like a hard rule like you can't have reverb but it was like <laughs> we didn't want it to be these heavily heavily overdubbed or heavily affected performances like mostly just wanted a single instrument um single instrument performance that you know just of any instrument that um you know without overthinking it and overdoing it and that the rules of that compilation and i had, I had a piece on it of my own kind of inspired the way i wanted to make my music which because i realized a little guitar piece that I wrote for it I was writing it um really inspired me again to just play guitar in a certain way and I feel like you know I'm no virtuosic guitar player <laughs> but I'm sure a lot of guitar players 
a lot of guitar players have this sentiment for like for years I would just pick it up and just kind of like hated what it sounded like and what I was playing and I just wasn't that inspired you know I played it enough and over the years right it's like I'd hit a wall with, with what I was doing on the instrument which is part of why I like threw it out the window and like composed on it in like a completely digital and mm-hmm. and, and sample based way but once I started working on this this solo piece it just kind of was like hey this is this is a formula I'm excited about and then hmm. After that, I sort of expanded it to still being these last two records have been like, you know, two guitar. Like I wanted it to be my guitar part, opposed like against another guitar, whether that's me or someone else, and then I usually like a drone layer or some mm-hmm. sort of pad synth layer underneath. And that was sort of the, the like I want to keep it simple, and you know, none of these rules are hard and fast, but it was a guiding template, you know, for how I wanted to to make music. Um, and so, so that was kind of the genesis. And then the other thing I think is notable, and you know, I, I don't know how if people share this, but for me, what's kind of been interesting is like I tend to like really, really soft music and extremely heavy music. Like I, I love noise, and I still love like just very. I'm just like listening, looking for heavy music of all varieties, mm-hmm. and it's, to me, it's not it's not abrasive. Like I, I can fall asleep to it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it's just not a the the cacophonous noise of that's is something that I find comforting you know it's just the it's just been a thing mm. for me and so this when people like ask like how do you go from this to this it's sort of just like for whatever reason to me it occupies similar space and it 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 still hits the, kind of what I'm going for and music creation and music listening even though they're mm. different sonically it's just like I don't know I, I hard to explain exactly but it still registers to me in a similar feeling that I'm looking for um, so it didn't feel like such a departure in a yeah. way just because it still was it still was channeling what I was hoping to to create and I still feel that way and like almost every time I make something I'm like it's getting heavier and, <laughs> and louder <laughs> and then I'm like well you know I think I'll, I, I'm, I'm probably not going to push like the next record that way I'm, but certainly in the future again like I'll I'll want to hybridize this stuff more and I, I almost like my if I was to think of something like if there was, if it was like an opus thing, I really want to put tons of effort in would be a much heavier guitar project hmm. again. Like this, this, these rules and this concept, but, but in a more uh, kind of savage universe again, but it's, it's hard. Honestly, I think it's harder to do, to do right because it is challenging for people. And, um, I, I, I still want to feel like I'm making a contribution and like, there's a, there's an int- there'd be an interest in it and stuff. And, um, so yeah, I think it was it's something I'm still really connected to and yeah, that for whatever reason it these types of music, heavy or soft sort of still uh if it's droney, if it's repetitive, <laughs> that's mostly what I'm looking for and that's what gives me the 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 kind of transfixed um like feeling that I'm that I'm looking for. Yeah. Can you give me some examples of stuff that you listen to that kind of gets you and and also what it makes you feel like? Do you feel like it gets you in a sort of trance? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I mean, I think, so, yeah, for my own stuff, like, I've honestly, I for years, I've felt like the best feeling is if I'm, like, playing a guitar pattern or something, and if it's making me, like, physically tired, that's the good, that's what I'm <laughs> going for. And it's, it's this weird moment where, like, I can play it for seven minutes, and I'm just like, if I just kind of, like, full spaced out and, and almost have this calm sensation, that, that's the goal, you know, and, and yeah. which is, which I've had, and, and like I said, and it had extremely like just wall of noise type moments and just like the simplest three note 
guitar strum. And so wow. I, that's like my, <laughs> that's my litmus test for it, I guess. Hmm. Um, but like, you know, in terms of, uh, what I'm listening to, like a good example of this last year is like, I just weirdly, I would missed them in the past for what, for whatever reason, but I just got a deep listening into this band lunch, this kind of adjacent sort of hardcore band from Baltimore and, Mm-hmm. And not even hardcore. I mean, just it. But the, the guitar playing is just so up my my alley, and and the it's the it's just an approach that I so so connect with. And if there's lyrics and there's some singing and this and that, but there's some really just really good instrumental moments and just an approach to drone like to connect with. And mm-hmm. music's heavy mostly, and it's it's definitely like like very much like rock like hard rock music but mm-hmm. it's the kind of thing that for, for me it really does it's it's definitely more that like a band like Longfish much more informs my music than like a John Fahey or, or whatever you know wow. um, like an instrument more of an instrumental guitar player because I just don't play guitar like them I'm not virtuosic like them like I certainly have loved like the classic American primitive guitar players and uh-huh. really like especially as a younger person like was obsessed with virtuosic guitar playing and stuff but um you know that i've mostly connected with a different approach to guitar playing growing up and so like another another example would be like you know knowing it's annoying it's the wrong word it's, it's tragic how the how he has uh, him as a person but you know with mark kozalek and sun kill moon yeah. um the guitar playing even on some of these records that are just like these weird selfish banter records that are just not that interesting from a lyrical perspective mm-hmm. I feel like his guitar playing is just absolutely incredible and it's something that I extremely admire um, to an approach and like I've honestly wished that he would release some stuff instrumentally just like alongside mm-hmm. some of the sort of spoken word uh, versions of things but that guitar playing it uh, has stuck with me and then in terms of like more people that would fall into like a I'm, I'm kind of some of his American primitive adjacent stuff like I love Marissa Anderson's guitar playing mm-hmm. um, I think she she harnesses more of that drone mentality than some of, of the others that maybe occupy the more current uh, version of things and then a lot of songwriters I think I really connect with more traditional songwriters that still employ some of this the guitar playing that I connect with which would be like you know Julie Byrne or you know, I'm obsessed with music and from Big Feast, and you know, mm-hmm. I know yeah. the project is pretty unanimously loved. But I, I mm-hmm. for me, it's like it's the guitar playing that separates. Like I, I wish I could consume lyrics better and like be more discerning. <laughs> but I basically just he goes in one ear and one out the other. Like I'm listening for melody, I guess, and then mostly just listening to the to the guitar playing. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, she's such a wonderful guitar player and. And so, so yeah, I think it's, there's this thread that can really be across any genre, and it's just like, and I'm not even saying these artists, their approach is all that similar, but for some reason with me, it sort of just still strikes this accord um, that that is meaningful and feels like a direction that I try to push music of, of my own. Yeah, I, th- I think I get caught in, like, I think the music that gets me the most is it'll get me in this way where... I'm just like struck by the the music itself. I'm really listening to it. I'm really listening to the notes. I'm like closing my eyes and kind of just getting taken away from it. And then if that like 
if that continues in the song or the album enough, then I it kind of like switches to the opposite and I completely stop thinking about the music and I stop thinking about totally it completely. And then I'm like, Oh, so it, it did that too. Like it got me with its, you know, whatever. And like, I was listening to, um, you know, Robbie Besho. Is that how you say his name? Are you familiar? Yeah, I'm a huge, yeah, huge Besho. He's definitely one of my favorite. Of, I'm glad you brought him up. Yeah. Right. So I was, I was listening to his live in Italy record and he, one of the songs yeah, on there yeah. is like nine and a half minutes long. And the first half of it, I'm just like listening so intently, just like wow. And then I, I'm, I'm not doing anything else. But then I find that I'm not even listening to it anymore. I'm just like, I'm wherever. I'm in Italy. I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm not. I don't feel like I'm listening to it actively anymore. I'm just kind of like, with the feeling more than anything else. Like, it, it, the notes couldn't. The notes don't even matter anymore. You know, it's, it's just the, <laughs> yeah. it's the feeling that it gives. Yeah. Do you ever spend yeah, time with um? earth or sun you ever listen to them no no <laughs> earth 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 is just earth and then sun is a band they're spelled it's like su i think it's n n n and then in zero parentheses parentheses oh, no, yeah yeah no i know i know that yeah yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not i'm not by name's birth but i know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah i that stuff's like I'm I'm really interested in the way you talk about heavy music because that stuff I I don't get this darkness or sadness or anything, but my whole body yeah. feels like paralyzed. Like I'll I'll Earth has yeah. an album called Earth Two, and the first song on there, like I'll just put that on in the car and I like can't move my body, and I'm just fascinated by the <laughs> fact that just like a guitar <laughs> can do that to me. I'm just like wow. Totally. <laughs> yeah. No, it's that's a special, and it's it's I think it is one. It's partially just because it's a because some of that music can be harder and less accessible and especially if it doesn't fall under like the umbrella of like metal or something it's yeah that has such a supportive community it's just like a specific fan base and writership like if it's kind of not metal but it's still super heavy <laughs> it's like has a kind of a specific niche and it's less less accessible <laughs> in a way but i yeah. feel like when i find that objects like there's this band and it's these guys know and dale who i love but this band called you bet that mm-hmm. they're not hyperactive, but one of those bands too. It's like the music is so good, and I face value like super savage and, and like hard. But in reality, to me, it just it always was very cathartic. And I guess that's a very common, uh, you know, uh, feeling for this type of heavy music. But I, I really was inspiring to me at a, at a time when I lived in New York, and um, you know, but yeah, those records are really special. How do you spell that band's name? Time. It's like Y V E T T E. Nice. Um, cool. And yeah, I'll send you. I'll, if, well, there's a. Army's relatively small, so you can kind of just walk, For walk sure. through some stuff. But, For sure. but yeah, they're they're really really awesome. And the, one of those bands too, just like you see live, it's just a whole. It was just a whole experience that you know again made me feel like shit. Like this, I want to. You know, the live experience can still be so transcendent. For uh-huh. some of these things, I think as the deeper I got into like electronic spaces and more ambient spaces, like I missed that part of the the yeah. energy. Not to say it doesn't exist; it's just different. You know, it's just different. Um, I wanted um, to go see so. Sun in concert because I've heard that their show is like very singular. Like they they fill the entire venue with smoke, like crowd and all, completely until you like can't see in front of you, and then they just have huge stacks of amps so i've heard it's just like once you're once you're in there it's like 
you can't see anything and your ears are just going to be on a constant you know totally and they all the the band members they all wear robes the whole time dark black robes there you go so like yeah i'm, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to get lost that, like, in that you know, I, I remember you know seeing my bloody valentine during the, the mbv tour it was just like yeah you know it was hard to not feel it's you know so labored over how how important of a band they are but it's yeah. still like such a great experience it's so incredible seeing the show and then you know seen Swan so many times and that show is just so good to me and so I've never seen them man like, yeah it's pretty incredible and you know it's funny it's like a lot of my like inspirational heroes like Jira was it's so tough that a lot of these people are seemingly really fucked human beings but I guess that's just the world know, we, we live in but um but yeah, Swans was so hyper impactful on me, and in and Angels of Light as well. I mean, mm. the solo tunes really uh, occupy a space that I find compelling and stuff. And so it's I, yeah, it's hard. It's hard because I, I feel like I listen to them less. You know, some of the personal um, stuff surrounding that's just hard to fathom. People could be be that way, but certainly a very influential. Yeah, how do, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about that sort of culture where, you know, people are talking about separating the art from the artist? First of all, do you think that that's something that, like, socially should be normal? Like, should we all group together? Or do you think it's more of an individual thing? Like, you either enjoy them or you don't. It affects the way you hear them or it doesn't. You know, like, I think you, I'd imagine, I'd feel like it's an individual experience. I mean, for me, it's pretty hard to separate it. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't. That doesn't mean that I I'm devaluing what I previously got out of it per se. Yeah. But yeah, it certainly influences how I consume it going forward. But yeah, it's it, I I understand that someone might be like, hey, I'm gonna this is my thing. I'm perpetually listen to it regardless. But I even if I don't really I I don't personally have that stance. But even if I did, I certainly wouldn't like parade it around because <laughs> of the trauma. Yeah. And, and and negative like it just it's that's disrespectful I think and if it's something yeah. that you personally really need to connect with you, you have to realize that a lot of people don't uh, and there's there's a lot of um, energy that you you don't want to just like blindly say like hey I don't like I I can separate it well that doesn't mean everyone can right right um, so that's you know I'm certainly not like wearing my Swans T-shirts around anymore <laughs> um, and uh, and it's troubling it's troubling to me but if you know, something when I see a record in my collection or I listen to something referentially because I'm trying to get a guitar tone or some thought, you know, I definitely, it's hard to not go through my head like what the implications are. Uh, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, I'm still, it's, there's, there is an influence there. And I, yeah. I, I'm not like, like whiting that out on my, the history of my music listening. But yeah, I think it's personal. You know, my take is it's pretty hard to, to separate these, these things. And, yeah. you know, but I think we can be a Mm-hmm. And a level of of uh, what an artist has given to a community, and still, but still, also really be appalled by their behavior and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, I follow that for sure. Yeah. Do you do you have any uh, intentions for live shows for Roped In once the world heals? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, in a cool way. I mean, that's some some great some initial cool outreach. You know, people being supportive really you know internationally in certain little spots and nice, Barry yeah. brings you know Barry who should yeah should be talking more you know it's such an incredible collaborator and, and really the spirit half of the spirit of this project mm-hmm. in this in this iteration 
I'm going to work with him again on the on the next one as well. But um, to me, he brings such a level of of comfort and excitement to what a live show could be because there's still with music this at core that's this simple. Like I've still I've done some some performances under like this version of North Americans, and I think they've been solid. But it's like yeah. it's still I, there's still a level of like well I want to just drown through some guitar stuff, but also how do I make it compelling and bring a slightly different version of an experience that isn't just like us like nicely playing the, the record you know <laughs> yeah. uh in like a when someone could just you know turn it up loud and listen to it <laughs> at home you know but barry we've gotten to play uh a show together like kind of a record release show and going steady mm-hmm. or, or kind of like in between it was like this he was down here with his band um mouth painter which is incredible and we sort of just like jammed it together and played a few songs to that were coming up on roped in and uh yeah it's such a fun way such a fun way to do it he's such a special player and, and musician and so it just makes the the experience all that more inspiring and exciting for me where like we've done a few things solo or like trying to loop a bunch and stuff because like you know if you try to add another guitar layer you gotta loop the first one or you have like a fucking four person band and like it's not it's also not that feasible for have a big band because not like the fiscal you know I, I want everyone to get paid and try to make it not feel like we're just like doing it unsustainably for no for no reason or something like that but I think in a duo format with Barry like we can still make compelling show and mm-hmm. still make it a viable experience without you know loop it, a ton of looping without a ton of tricks or, or sample based things to try to you know that's what I've struggled with solo is like how do I make this compelling while still serving yeah. the tune so, so yeah I think you know we'll, we'll definitely face space for it you know Barry and I both have other lives I and mean, he's, he's a geology professor in the Oregon oh, wow and, uh, which is awesome and he's, he's had a recently uh had his first kid and so Jeez. he's obviously has a lot going but we'll, we'll certainly make time for yeah. some version um of shows i imagine on the other side of this and it's definitely an exciting piece of the puzzle for for us yeah. i think we're chomping up the bit to to give it a shot and what do you do man you said you you have a desk day job yeah um so do variety of things but, but in short um o- over the years you know my music work um transitioned to label jobs i worked at capture tracks in, uh-huh. in new york when i was there and and here i i kind of uh partially sort of co- worked together co-founded whatever you want to call it is pre-existing slightly but this label goes ramp with nathan williams from the, the band waves uh-huh. and uh so we for five six years you know we, we still it's still going but we had a record store here it was a very active oh, wow. stretch where we were putting out putting out records and shit. But then, so the segue from there is Ghost Ramp specialized in uh, video game scores on vinyl, oh, um, which is both dope. a passion of, of Nathan and I as, as big gamers. And we were kind of early on. Oh, you're a gamer now, too? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow, I deep, didn't even know. So, <laughs> deep, deeply. <laughs> but, um, but so so we, you know, we sort of got early on this cottage and Final and you know it, it was an exciting thing to d- dive into and through that I started um, managing uh, a lot of game composers through that wow because there's a lot of it's a wide open space there's not many you know I I was always a huge fan of video game music and I, when I was working with these composers on releasing their vinyl I was quickly realizing they had no they often just didn't know much about the music business they hadn't really interfaced with anyone ever they could be a very successful composer in their space but they they were used to selling and 
kind of coming up with their livelihood in the game industry but in reality they're releasing music and they had really no help in how to uh-huh. get it to the music industry and how to get it to the music it's like more traditional music fans and stuff yeah. and so that was sort of one segue and then through that over the last summer through one of my main uh, management clients um, it was kind of a long the long hope for me really and it, it's crazy it's it's come to fruition but I'm, I'm working at, I'm a producer at uh, indie video game studio um, just kind wow. of a management-ish role just overseeing the creation of a, of a game like it's kind of overseeing a 12-person team and it's my first jump away from like I'm doing kind of overseeing the whole the whole product not just the uh-huh. music side so it was a big it was a big leap of faith from the creators to like you know I'd never really done video game production or um, you know helmed helmed a little indie studio by any means but um, you know they're forward-thinking bunch and certainly have juggled a lot of you know small business type shit with with record labels and Mm -hmm. the music industry is so incredibly challenging that i think it it sets you up pretty well to to work in spaces that maybe are a little bit more forgiving um just based on you know games are a pretty popular thing right now um but uh so yeah it's been that it's it's definitely my uh, my adult life definitely the most like true job (laughs) job but the fact that it's you know as a kid you know the hundreds of thousands of hours or whatever I've spent playing video games like it's pretty special to, it's a huge passion of mine to, to be working on one in this real capacity it's still a little bit of a like a weird daydream so what do you, know, what do you game know, man maybe you get, say it again what do you game um, so right now I'm just back in the throes of World of Warcraft again <laughs> nice. uh, which is for, for better or for worse but um, <laughs> no it's you know, a, a kind of a mixture. I mean, obviously, I've been working alongside indie games for a long time, so try my best to, to play. You know, a lot of the more independent release titles um, annually, but then I also have kind of just like a, like a lot of basic, huge AAA games I'll run through. But you know, I'm a kind of a PC gamer, and um, you know, over quarantine and stuff, like it's been a blessing, really. Yeah. To, like be communicate with some of my friends, and even like um, one of the most generic games, Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. Uh, has given me and a lot of friends and access to connect because it's one of the few cross-platform games that exist. Like yeah. I can play with people on Xbox and, and PlayStation, and so you know, a bunch. Of, and it's a hilarious music community of guys like my best bud out here, Tom Krell from How to Dress Well, and Jack Green, this incredible producer in Montreal, <laughs> and uh, this dude Ski Mask Brian, who's an incredible electronic producer in, in Germany, and <laughs> it's like a funny ragtag bunch <laughs> of uh, you know music gamer nerds but um <laughs> but it's certainly the communicate I, I look for i think especially in this year i've looked to very social games just to, yeah. to fill a void you know and so with world of warcraft it's you know hyper any mm-hmm. any mmo any like massive rpg like that there's a lot of community aspects to it and so there's a lot of chatter and, and kind of fodder there to kind of get lost and it's, it's just an in-depth experience so yeah i think we're all looking for like these other worlds to occupy our our brain and in such a challenging uh, mm-hmm. year and stuff, so so yeah, deep dive into that stuff. But yeah, I'll pretty much pretty much play play anything. But I'd say between a while, um, kind of just playing Call of Duty with the with the guys this year has been mm-hmm. the most constant source of hours. Yeah. Uh, hey man, I and then the game we're working on, you know, shit, playing I'm, a lot of that. <laughs> right. Of working on it. I'm pretty into COD myself, so I I would love nice. I'd love to play sometime. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, deep, deep wars on it. So, yeah, if you ever want to check in, um, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> well, brother, this is this has been a real treat. Thanks for spending time. No, man, thanks, thanks for reaching out and uh, chat with me about all this. Hopefully, uh, yeah, most, now you got a fly fishing podcast. So. <laughs> I know, I gotta, I gotta change the uh, scope of it. The track you're about to hear is called "Break Maiden" from North American's album "Roped In," out on Third Man Records. Why'd you move there? That, that climate doesn't. Uh, my dad, you know, jobs. He got a job up there. Yeah. Yeah. That's my dad was working very. He's worked all all kinds of different stuff. Um, but he was uh, working in. God, what did he even do? He was a. <laughs> well, this doesn't matter. But he was a buyer uh, for like a, um, you know, sporting goods store. He would go and like buy products and put them in the. Store, so hmm. 
he worked in, re- in, in like marketing and, and buying and stuff. But then yeah. the recession happened in 2008, and he sort of uh, lost his job from there. And then, then, mm-hmm. then he was a teacher. He started out as a teacher, and then now he, he was again, and now he's retired. So wow, what sort of teaching? He, he ended up te- <laughs> he taught. Uh, he started out teaching special ed in mm-hmm. the early 70s uh, in Alabama and he was like described the, the horrific conditions of you know he was working in institutional settings like and he said you know if you read One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest like mm-hmm. that's pretty much exactly how it was in the wow. in these institutions like completely devastating and terrible and he kind of couldn't deal with it so he also you know you make almost no money and mm-hmm. are miserable but then he went and he, he taught high school after that, high school, like, business classes. And, but he didn't like that either. <laughs> so I, I can't imagine teaching high school. Um, I te- I'm a teacher. I teach college-age kids. So we're oh. not kids. They're not kids. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, I like teaching a lot. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the um, online teaching, which is what I'm doing all the time now. Um is it just Zoom uh, meetings? Plenty of Zoom meetings. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I got I got one today at noon or uh, whatever, two or three, <laughs> whatever that is Eastern time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's all right. You know, I, 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 it's it's always most fun, and with college students, it's easy to get them to sort of get to participate. You know, by just generating a discussion in class yeah. or doing something in class. But in, with the Zoom, it's like. You know, they can just turn the camera off, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I'm just talking into a, 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 you know, a digital hole, so. <laughs> Do you ever throw anything Sometimes. in there just to kind of shake it up, test the waters? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, like, all the time. Uh, and, you know, what's so, what's so, uh, uh, it's like the Panopticon, where we, we're con- I'm constantly being surveilled by my own recording that I'm making, you know, so I have to kind of have to kind of be careful of what I say. I'm not, like, saying anything, you know, out of bounds or anything, but, um, you know, it, uh, it, one could easily offend somebody accidentally, and then it turned into sort of a, a thing yeah. that you never would have imagined happening, and I'm not trying to, like, speak to call out culture or anything whatsoever i'm talking about like me accidentally saying something or making a joke it's not really professional or whatever you just gotta be really careful especially when you're being recorded uh yeah but in general like my students are pretty chill and uh mm-hmm. everybody likes seeming seemingly not everybody but you know everybody's it's chill and my, my mantra over this whole thing over the the pandemic and, and teaching online has been like i'm gonna cut you some slack deadlines and mm-hmm. coming to class and whatever you need you know like mental health like everybody's you know doing yeah. different you know at different stages of their understanding of of their lives and mm-hmm. uh hunkering down and such and like i'm gonna cut you slack and you're gonna cut me slack that's how it's gonna go <laughs> so that's yeah. cutting each other's slack i've never uh felt more of a like humanizing connection with professors than over this past year like I don't know if it's the intimacy of them being in their own homes sometimes on the Zooms or what it is, but there is just that general feeling of like, oh my goodness, we're all doing this. 
And sometimes, a lot of times, yeah. actually, professors will just start the chat with, like, they'll just air out their grievances. They're like, oh, shit, guys, so what's what's going on? <laughs> like, here's how I'm feeling, and then they'll talk. And that's just way different than being in a classroom where it's usually like, okay, you know, it could be more relaxed, but let's get down to business. Let's start talking about the material. It's it's strange. Yeah. There's this melancholy. Well, that's cool. I, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting to hear that experience because I'm so cut off from, from every, every, you know, how other people are doing things. You know, the last thing I ever want to do at this point is get on zoom um, <laughs> and, and have a, have a meeting or something. But, you know, uh, then when you're doing it, it's kind of fun, especially if you're talking to somebody and they're responding. I spend so much time <laughs> talking into the screen and nobody responding that's why like, start to just kind of go a little crazy so wait so you're you're in school yeah i'm a student right now where at uh it's eastern michigan university in michigan oh okay I, you know i have had several friends from michigan and i can't remember which one of them went to eastern michigan but i do have mm-hmm. a friend that went there at yeah. least temporarily i know there's there's a bunch of schools in, in michigan Eastern's a rad place, but it, yeah, it was strange because I, I think it was March last year that it kind of like really rapidly turned into online only. Oh yeah, and it was, yep. it was. I think what was weird for me was that there was only about a month and a half left. So like the main momentum of the semester had already kind of gone through, and then it was like okay, now we got to transfer it online and do all of these assignments. When there's and I had to like move really quickly, so. It was a strange experience for my schooling, but I learned a lot from kind of the impatience of doing it online. And then eventually I fell in love with it, honestly. Like, I mean, I just accepted it as what it was, accepted the present as it was, and was like, okay, well, I mean, at least I can still talk to these people and see some of their faces and hear some of their voices. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's my favorite thing is when I'm, I'm, I'm having a class and somebody actually... I'm not saying it never happens, but uh, like people actually start talking or people have a comment. It's like, wow, I, you know, people are actually, you know, living this experience, and it's not just an auto automation. Everybody's on automation. <laughs> I know. I, I really loved. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just saying that it's like you get this feeling since it's just a computer screen that it's fake, like that these people aren't real, and that like there's just an obvious like disconnection. And I like to just sh- I like to just play. Like, I'll just say things just to see who hears it. Or I'll throw something in the chat, just a little tidbit. or yeah. <laughs> I don't know, just to see if, just to poke people, see if they're breathing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really uh, loved um, lockdown uh, at first. We had a baby last year in, in May. Oh, wow. Um, and it's our, our first child, uh, my wife and, and myself. And... Uh, so leading up to it in March, um, and then after that, I, I really had a great time. I loved I loved uh, quarantine. I thought it was cool. Um, <laughs> but at, at um, you know, it, I, I don't know what it was, but I think it was precipitated by the mass um, civil unrest that occurred in our country and in, our, in Portland, our community in particular, yeah. too. Um, beginning in June and it just sort of uh, sort of just 
spiraled from there and I, I, I feel like I'm right I'm, I'm starting to get on the other end I, I, I've had a, like a I don't know why I'm telling you this but I had like I've had this chronic weird uh, series of symptoms over the past three or four months mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure they're uh, psychosomatic which doesn't mean that like they're not there it just means it's your body you know, I don't wow. know if you've ever dealt with this. I did. I certainly never had any sort of mental health issues until well, I was tell nine. What um, What specifically early. are you talking about? Um, uh, acid reflux for one. Uh huh. And um, headaches and uh, fevers. Like that was how it started. Is I really? Was, I was kind of uh, really concerned about catching the fucking coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. Because I had this baby and I and I didn't yeah, want man. to. Um, I didn't want to give my baby COVID mm-hmm. and we weren't doing anything. It's not like I was going out and risk, you know, I was very low risk in terms of my activity, but yeah. I would, I was just sort of like, I wasn't obsessing, but I was kind of really nervous about it. And I, and I don't think I, I realized it at the time, but I started, you know, when I take my temperature in the morning or in the, in the evening, mm-hmm. I would have these like really low grade fevers, like 99.5 or 99.8. Mm-hmm. Which is only, you know, which come to find out is like, in general, that's not really even that big of a deal. <clears throat> Lots of people's bodies temperatures fluctuate, but I was seeing like pretty regularly having a, a low grade fever all day. So I went and got tested negative, and I, I never I've been tested a couple times. Never I never had COVID, but I would have these fevers. Yeah. And then so I've had this, and then acid reflux, and, and um, so I'm I'm actually sort of like. Just this past week, I saw a, a, a specialist, an ear, nose, throat doctor, and he's been working with me, and mm-hmm. um, and I'm feeling a lot better now. But I, I was having, I had this real kind of like physically dark period from yeah. November to about like a couple weeks ago, and um, and I've never experienced anything like this, and I'm pretty sure it's due to like I'm such a, I love going out, I love like playing music. We haven't even talked about music, but I love going <laughs> and playing. Uh, shows. Uh-huh. I used to do that a lot because I was in several bands, you know, playing pedal steel. Like, I was in several bands, and and so I don't love going out to bars and like hanging out. I used to, but yeah, just like going out to bars and playing music, I feel like I have like a, you know, it's like you feel like you're working, even mm-hmm. though you're not really getting paid at the level that I'm playing yeah. at. But like, it's like you have a. I, I feel like. I feel useful, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And also, hmm. I like um, uh, being around and seeing musicians and talking to people and talking to people that like music. It's just like a lot of fun, and I get I get really charged up about that. And I've, not, I've done absolutely none of that um, for an, almost an entire year. Actually, what is today? 24th? The last show I played was February 21st, so it, it's been wow. actually an entire year. Um, and... Uh, so it, that that I'm sure has I've learned a lot. It's like I knew I was an extrovert, but I didn't realize how much my mind sort of depended on that. And so uh, the, the irony here is that I had a baby, so I probably wouldn't have been able to do that anyway. <laughs> like go out and play shows all the time. So in a way, it's kind of good that I'm not like blaming this on my child or my <laughs> wife or whatever. You know, but no, I wouldn't have like been uh, you know really. I say blame. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I hear like, you. In the back of my mind, I would be like, "Yeah, well, you know, I didn't have a right, right. Blah, blah, blah. I could have been doing whatever I wanted to all the time. You know, freedom. 
uh, of a freedom of choice notice. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, so w- whatever the case was, I would have been cooped up this past year. But you know, I I'm not I'm not really enjoyed it. I was really uh, recording a lot uh, uh, in the early part of last summer, mm-hmm. and I've started to again. So that that's been nice. I've had some time to do uh that kind of thing but right now i'm teaching so much that I, right and i got the baby um that i don't really have time and i i'm i'm taking things pretty s- seriously in ter- I'm like i'm not going in other people's houses i'm not like going to recording studios and yeah like i'm sure my wife is now vaccinated which takes a, a huge That's pressure bad. off of us both anyway um so like this, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm sort of in my house all the time, mm-hmm. um, listening to records and then playing pedal steel at night and uh, teaching during the day and playing with the kids. So that's my life right now. It's a pretty <laughs> limited experience, but that is what I know. <laughs> I, I really resonate with what you said about feeling useful. That's something that I get caught in sometimes where like, I mean, it, it's just an ego thing. It's just like a mind thing where I'm like wanting to... I just think useful is a really good word. And I, I find when I'm creating, whether it's, you know, painting or like making music, that feeling just kind of floats away for a second. It's like I'm doing something that's, I don't know, creation, I guess. I just, I actually just read this really interesting thing about um, creation, maintenance, and destruction. And how that, like, uh, in, in, in older ancient Vedas... That's sort of how they view the whole scope of things is that you're either in a state of creation maintenance or destruction and i think that i think that that's relative to like talking about usefulness because for a lot of people those stages fluctuated real quick when they st- stayed at home you know like i f- obviously mm-hmm. many people probably fell into destructive habits in terms of coping or whatever it is others were just trying to maintain some sort of you know calm And then, I mean, I've been through all of them, but I definitely felt at times that I was like, okay, well, I have the decision to make here, and I would just try to turn that into, you know, I'm just going to take this time to create and just create and create and create. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I I don't know if I can compartmentalize those those three things. I feel like at times Mm -hmm. I'm doing all three of them at at the same time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, But right now, yeah, I know. I'm trying to think about like right now. I think maintenance would probably be what I'm. I'm, I'm in the stage, but also also creation. I feel like I, I don't, um, you know, I've been I've been purposely trying to uh, spend more time creating. Uh, especially these past three months have been pretty difficult. I had this uh, just this to help things, and I, and I like I'm trying not to be the guy who's complaining about his health and everything because I, I, <laughs> I it's just depressing. It's a bummer to, to listen to that and read about it or whatever. So that's not what I want. But anyway, this, it's been like a, my headspace has been kind of like in a difficult place these mm-hmm. past few months, and I'm finally feeling better. So I'm trying to like uh, actively create, and I've been recording some stuff, and uh, so that that does always make me feel better. Although I, I found, and since I was in grad school, this is something that I re- recognize. It's like you know, one can wait until they get some sort of inspiration. That's what I used to do. It's like I would like, you know, think up some idea randomly or uh, mm-hmm. whatever, and then I would have this burst of creativity or, or burst of, you know, if I was talking about my geologic research, I would have a burst of like a writing or, mm-hmm. you know, brainstorming a whatever I was going to do. 
But like, um, what I found is that I have to like sit down and I, you have to budget time basically is what I'm saying. Like, mm-hmm. that, you know, in terms of writing, like it's nice for me to sit down and take two hours and say, I'm going to sit down and like work on something right now mm-hmm. instead of when the inspiration moves me. Yeah. A lot of times I have to take the inspiration and sort of stuff, stick it in the back of my head and just wait <laughs> until that, until I have time to do it. Yeah. yeah, that's tough. That's tough when you get like the spark of I want to sit down and do this right now, but for whatever reason you can't. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. And when I was in grad school, that was never the case. I could do whatever I wanted. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> that was a good life. Um, I highly recommend grad school if you can if you can find a way to afford it. Which and for science, it, it was like they paid me to be a teaching assistant. So I had a I had a very meager salary, but it was enough to sort of mm-hmm. like get by on. Yeah, I've really, really thought about it. Um, I'd say in general, my main interest lies in like film. So that's like plan A. But there's something in me that's always really, really wanted to teach. Um, I've studied film and philosophy. So philosophy is definitely where I would go, like probably Eastern philosophies, because I can talk about that and talk about that. But yeah, graduate school seems like, I mean, I mean I'm sure I don't have to tell you <laughs> the issues with the education system in terms of financial uh, difficulty, but... Yeah, yep. it, it's a it's a shame to think that that would be something that would prevent someone who's really enthusiastic about teaching from doing it, which potentially it might do uh, for me. But I don't yeah, know. I mean, I'm barely eking out. Like, I have three or four, three jobs right now teaching. I'm not a tenured professor. I uh-huh. work as an adjunct for three different universities. Wow, man. Um, so I, I can't say that it's like. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm certainly not sitting in the ivory tower, um, <laughs> you know, with my feet up on the desk. Or, you know, and, and my experience in the university system is that the people that I've worked with do not sit with their, they fucking work really hard all the time <laughs> trying to get grants, write papers and stuff. Right. And so it's not like, um, I, I, what I am afforded by not being embedded in the tenure track is like time outside to pursue my my music yeah i've had uh, i've had my colleagues mostly don't really know about (laughs) (laughs) really that's funny well i mean some of them do the younger ones that are interested in music do Mm -hmm. they they think that they they like it but you know a lot of people just you know you know this a lot of people just don't listen to music or they don't (laughs) listen to like new music is that is that strange to you at all no because i you know there's things like that that i um that I know that about me, like I'm not exploring some part of my, you know, some interest that they have. That mm-hmm. I know nothing about. So I, it, yeah. It, yeah. It's, yeah. That's a good way to put it. There's always something you're not interested in. <laughs> or that I'm not interested yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yes. I had a dream the other night, actually, that I was an elementary school teacher and I loved it. Whoa. I remember feeling like joy, like it was kind of like, hey, you're a teacher now. And I remember just feeling like this is really awesome. So I'm also putting that on my plate to think about. <laughs> that is really cool. Yeah. Um, that That's cool that you had that re- emotional reaction to it, too. That's why I think it's so cool. Yeah, I woke like up. You loved it. <laughs> I, w- I woke up and was like, wow, like I, I had the after joy of the dream still on me. Like I felt such a, a a really deep joy of like this is this wow. is kind of right, and I've had a lot of flashes in the past like three or four years of like wanting to be a teacher where I get that feeling of like 
yeah, that's what I want to do. But I just, I just love teaching people. I love telling people something and you see in their eyes that they're like actually interested <laughs> and that they're different because of the words that you said or, or the text that you show them or whatever you want to say. You know, I just think that's fascinating. Yeah. That's that's all, I'm, that's all I really from, care about is learning myself too. You, you come from a family of teachers? No, I don't. I don't at all. Um, okay. My parents have... Yeah, my... Mom's got a financial job. My father's a driver. So... But they teach me. They've taught me a lot of things. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. My, that's like our family business. My my dad was a teacher for a while, and then wasn't and was. And my mom was a teacher, and both my sisters were teachers. Wow. That's just like <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, and I thought I, you know, I I went to school like I went to graduate school like for geology, and that's what I'm trained as as a geologist. But I, I work as a teacher because um, mm-hmm. to work as a geologist, I would. Um, there's, there's a few avenues, but like one of them is to uh, mineral extraction or, or resource extraction. So mm-hmm. I work for an oil company or a mineral exploration company. And I, while I think that would be interesting at times, um, there are a lot of drawbacks that I, you know, like um, what? one would be the, well, the obvious one is that like, you know, my interest in, um, uh, in our climate crisis and you know divesting from fossil fuels i think that's probably a pretty important thing that we're going to have to do in the next 20 years or so um and we're you know along with that we're still going to have to use fossil fuels because our we're completely dependent on our power grid um so we're going to need people to do that but at the same time like from what my perspective that is a a dead end Hmm. um in terms of human uh, human uh, development, or not human, but but like uh, uh, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> In terms of societal yeah. societal development, we have to come up with new ways to get power. But second of all, you have to travel all the time. It's like you got to go out and do like do field work for three. If, if mineral extraction, that's a different story. We're going to be needing metals for a long time. Mm. You know, like gold, copper, or whatever. And in order to do that, you have to have a geologist who knows what rocks look like and how to identify minerals walk around in the field and identify um deposits which is pretty difficult to do Mm -hmm. and really time consuming but i know how to do that and i've actually been trained to do that um but you have to it's just you know you got to pick your battles and i feel like i i spend a lot of time on on music Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm, that's where my skills are maybe, uh, and my heart is more geared towards mm-hmm. is spending time doing that. Plus I can hang around with my friends and my family that way. Don't make hardly as much money. I'd make way more money in the mineral industry or <laughs> oil industry. Yeah. Like a lot more money. Um, yeah. So anyway, teaching is a good, is a good thing. I like that. I like teaching. Yeah. It's interesting when you have yeah. m- multiple th- multiple big things that you like to do and you just you got to make a decision on on which you want to spend your time doing yeah i think it's you know it's at a certain point i realized like you know i gotta be able to make a living yeah and as long as i can do that then you know then everything else is everything else is up for grabs life is long though you know part 
What's that? Life is long. I've been thinking about that lately. Like, people have multiple lives within a life. Like, some people do this for many, many years, and then they do this for many, many years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if life is, I don't know if this life is long. I, you know, I, I was trying to think of this quote that I read just recently, um, about, uh, I'll find it in a second, but it, uh, it was this, uh, do you ever read any sci-fi or I guess, like, if you're a philosophy person, you're reading probably uh, nonfiction texts. Or do you do you read fiction much? I try to, yeah. I try to. I probably read like three to four books at once at a time, and I try to have oh, like, okay. I try to have a nonfiction book from just like a fellow telling me how it is, and then I like to read a graphic novel, and then hopefully a fiction piece. I just read um, a Ray Bradbury book called Dandelion Wine, which was. Kind of science fiction. Never read that. Now I'm thinking about it. It's kind of, dude. It blew my mind. Like, it's from the perspective of this little boy, and the very the opening sequence is this like, honestly, extremely spiritual passage where he's like running through the forest with his dad. I think he's ten, and he's running through the forest with his dad and his little brother. And there's this description, and he's like this. He knows that there's something here. Like, he has the sensation that there's, like, something following them. And he doesn't know what it is. And he feels, like, a really heightened sense of something. And it kind of builds and builds and builds. And then his brother tackles him on the ground. And it knocks the air out of him. And that's when they tell you. And it's like, bam. And it says, like, what he realizes is that he's alive. And so it's like him, as a little boy, realizing, like, you know, that feeling when you recognize that you're a conscious being. And you kind of see your place within things and it just like smacked me really hard and then there's just a bunch of small vignettes about like this one guy who's building a time machine and uh these other folks who have like this magical wheelchair and it's called dandelion wine because his family brews this wine that it's it's obviously like very um like metaphorical but there's these long passages about how the wine contains the past and the wine contains the different summers that the boys have and all the, the small experiences that they gain. And so the whole book is just them talking about life in a different way. Because now that he's realized he's alive, he's like, do you think trees are feeling the same things we're feeling? Like, just like totally far out stuff like that. That's the last fiction hey, hey, piece I read. That's, yeah, heavy. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, 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 uh, I've never read dandelion wine uh but i've written it down now uh cool so i'll, I'll put it on the list it's pretty I short the yeah quote that I, was, that I was looking for and it's uh it's I, I was reading this book called uh the author's name is gene wolf and it's i guess it's this uh big like people that are into fantasy are uh or sci-fi hold this is one of the you know the major pieces of you know of the mm-hmm. literature in the canon, but it's called The Shadow of the Torturer. Okay. Um, it's a really strange book, but it follows this torch, this guy around, and, and it's supposed to be in the future, but it seems like it's medieval times hmm. in terms of the society structure and stuff. But he's a he's basically a, a uh, an executioner, mm-hmm. and 
he's running he's running around in this in this citadel that he lives in and he's talking to this master of uh he's a curator this guy he's basically a librarian he's really old and uh the the old man said to this young guy this young executioner he said they're talking about life he says how big is a man's life and, and and the young guy says, "I have no way of knowing, but it isn't it isn't it large?" And then the old man says, "You see it, you see it from the beginning, and anticipate much. I, recollecting it from its termination, know how little there has been." Holy shit! That's what, that's what I was like. Holy shit! You know, <laughs> I, I'm right in the I'm right in the middle of that. I've, I've, I I anticipate much, but I also realize how little there is. Little there's been. Oh shit! Um. Anyway, mm. whatever he said made me think of that. Like that, that life is, life is long. I feel like life is long, but life is also too short. Yeah, how funny is that? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, that's what my mom said when we were talking about the baby. She said the days are long, but the years are sh- the years are short. It's like, ah, oh, mom, that's good. Mm. Yeah, that's just a nugget. Sometimes you just get a nugget, yeah. and you're like, wow, that's a, that's just a good one. It ever... must be a saying. I don't know if my mom is as pithy as that, but <laughs> she is. But that must be. She's filled with all kinds of weird. She's from Alabama and remembers everything that's ever been said to her. She's got like a photographic memory, and hmm. so she's uh, she's always saying stuff like that. I feel like most of my time uh, is spent quoting. Like people say stuff to me, and I just say like, I'll just throw something really cryptic out there and just see how it sticks because it's usually better than anything, you know, I have to say. Well, that's, point across. that's cool. Collections of quotes. I always admire people who know all, all kinds of jokes. They just can like rattle off jokes. Yeah. My thing, I guess, would be songs. Like sitting around a campfire, I can just sing songs forever. But um, <laughs> I, I love being around people that can tell jokes that are funny. It just makes me really, it makes me really happy. I love funny people. Yeah, it it's often doesn't have anything to do with what they're saying or the joke. It's just kind of their voice, yeah. the way that they're telling it. The, the person themselves is just... Hilarious. Yep. Yep. Do you ever say anything in your teaching where you're just like, damn, that was good? <laughs> like, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that, that happens, but, uh, you know, because it's such a stream of consciousness sometimes. I guess with geology, I do have more of a, like a curriculum. Like, right, right. It's a science, so I'm not like um, riffing as much as I would in a <laughs> yeah. humanities course, but. Right. but you know, for sure. And it's always, like you said, it's always interesting when people chime in. That's when the that's when things get kind of can go nonlinear and be a, be a little bit more entertaining for me. Yeah, and I I like when but, yeah. conversation is unpredictable because it's even though like I don't know, I've had the experience that my mind isn't always blown in a class, and I like that feeling of having my mind blown. Which you know you can't expect that every time, but it's really interesting when someone says something that you like disagree with strongly or like you've never heard it framed like that before and it's just like wow where are we going with this man the, the i remember taking philosophy 101 when i was 18 years old and <laughs> that class more than almost anything blew my mind because um and it wasn't didn't happen all at once but mm-hmm. i was so interminably bored uh and confused in the first half of it <laughs> and I remember I called my dad and I was like talking with my dad he's a real practical guy he, he does things you know and, yeah. and I was like 
I was like, Dad, I just cannot deal with this philosophy class. It's like, I have no idea what anybody's talking about. I think it's the most useless thing that I've ever, you know, ever been around. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad was like, son, you got to, he's like, this is just, he's like, you're already halfway through the class. You can't drop out now. This is something you just have to do. It's like, you have to sit there and you have to read the text and you just have to do it and then it'll be done. And then you'll, then you'll have something else to do. All right. So just, he didn't like say quick complaining about it he was very nice and very yeah yeah upset, but he was like you gotta just you gotta just do do what you're supposed to do and then it'll be done and i was like all right fine and then like you know that's what i did i started like trying to understand and reading more and putting more into, and it's like and at a certain point it didn't like click uh-huh. but I, I i began to understand the um you know, I'm, 18, I'm 18 years old at this point i'm not like a intellectual at that <laughs> point and, and so like I, uh, I began to understand the the usefulness of the the dialectical approach and reading stuff that you don't believe in and mm-hmm. listening to people. It was just like everything that philosophy is, and that really just being a um, conversant and open uh, minded person is was like boiled into that class, and it it just it, I, I'm not saying I'm not sure I want to say it changed my life, but it kind of did. And I didn't want to take, I definitely did not want to take another philosophy class. It was difficult, and I had to read way more than I wanted to, and I did think a lot of the stuff you read was pretty boring, uh-huh. but it was like, it was extremely enlightening, the process, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I found that that process was really useful, really useful when it came time to, like, do science later on, because science involves lots and lots and lots of reading stuff that you don't want to read, mm-hmm. and also... Um, uh, reading stuff that you you don't believe, yeah, and they, but that you have to say like, all right, well, where's this person come from? What's their evidence? Right, well, it's pretty good data. Uh, their data is good. I don't like their interpretation, but there's something to get out of it. You know, it's like this this whole the, the process of, I guess it was the dialectical approach, which at first I thought was so fucking backwards <laughs> to what I was how I was trained or, or how I thought that ended up being this is kind of life-changing thing for me so yeah i mean uh, i don't know what got me on that but i guess it was the it was uh the, well whatever that's when it gets really what far out man is when you can because yeah i mean i'll i guess i'll comment on a couple things you said so when you're like when you're learning especially when it's something you're not used to in my experience it's been like mathematics usually i've like already lost the chance to learn from it because I've decided that this is like whack or whatever and I, I think that's so that's so prevalent in most things people do they're not thinking about what they're doing at all they're thinking about what they would rather be doing or you know and you're just missing it out it's just flying right by you and no matter what it is if if you really pay attention there's nothing that can happen to you that's not extremely interesting even if it's just some bullshit you know like <laughs> Even if it's something that you're not interested in at all, there's something to learn from there. Because, like, wow, what's making me feel that, that like, bore, boredom? Boredom is fascination. Boredom is a yeah. fascinating feeling. It's it's a, you know, it's an extension from disgust in some psychological circles. And it's just amazing. Like, wow, I can't believe I feel bored. Why am I bored? <laughs> what is it that's making me feel bored? And, yeah, and then it gets it gets really far out when you read stuff that you just like you feel pretty certain that you don't believe it you know it doesn't seem right it doesn't seem to fit your viewpoint of the world because then you get even more far out and you're like wow well that means 
that that person or people who like that guy look at what I think and they think the same thing. So who's actually right? And then <laughs> the answer is nobody. And then it then it's just fun. Then it's just play because it's like, wow, I just happen to have this set of beliefs. I happen to have this set of opinions. I can't actually say my opinion is right or my preferences are right. They just are my preferences. They just are my opinions. And, you know, and certain things just certain things just hit right. And I think... Yeah. I really think that philosophy should be taught at a young age. I think there should be an entire philosophy class in in elementary, just like literally critical thinking, which is like the you know the first philosophy classes in every college curriculum. Just the the process of questioning what you know, I think is such a it's so important. It's so crucial in your development as a human, and I think that people lack that sorely, sorely. You yeah. Just, yeah. And an idea as fundamental and as simple as uh, moral relativism, which at the time when I was in a philosophy class, I I just didn't really understand the, how powerful that idea and how like I said, how fundamental that idea is to philosophy and to different cultures and whatever you want to say, you know, um, that that idea should be should be discussed by, by kids. And I think in a lot of families it is. Definitely probably mm-hmm. not in schools at a young age, but like, yeah. Um, you know what's so funny, man, is I, before we talked this morning, I spent the whole morning, I was kind of, I had a talk last night with my partner about, we were talking about um, God and Satan and good and evil and sort of like religious concepts of morality. And so all morning I've been sitting here kind of thinking about good and evil and moral relativity and just thinking about, you know, if there is such a concrete thing as good and evil and different perspectives on it. And I really wanted to talk to you about it. Like I wanted to bring it up as soon as we were chatting. It was on my mind so much. But then I didn't because I wasn't I wasn't just going to say, hey, man, what do you, what do you think about good and evil? <laughs> so it's really funny that it just happened to, to come out at some point. What are we? Yeah, well, I don't know. I... You know, I, I was raised in, in the church. Yeah. Um, I don't go to go to church anymore, but I, I haven't, and I, I don't w- really want to talk about religion, but I, I haven't really a- abandoned a lot of the um, spiritual aspects of, you know, I haven't like eschewed those uh, parts of my, of my either belief system or spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly not an atheist. Right. Um, but certainly not a evangelical, or, you know. I don't know where where I. Anyway, yeah. I don't want to get too specific there, but um, but I, for me, there have been experiences in my life where it seems like I have encountered, uh, and I there's probably a, a, a better word for this, but what but but I've encountered what what seems to be a, a really evil entity, or on other cases, what seems to be a really benevolent. You know, entity. And I'm thinking like, like, you know, that the I don't know if you watched the the most recent like Twin Peaks, for example. Okay. Have you watched Twin Peaks at all? A little bit. I'm not fully informed. Okay. Well, at some point, hopefully, you'll dive in, and especially the most recent, uh, like the season three that came out a few years ago. Yeah. Lynch did. It's like it's like 18 hours long. It's, mm-hmm. it's fucking really, really awesome and heavy. And but anyway, he deals a lot with like. Uh, these ideas that we're talking about but mm-hmm. like for me it feels like that I have encountered things that I would say 
that there was an evilness about that place or about that person, hmm. whether that's a, a, a spirit that's embodied that or possessed or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, again, I have no idea if that is actually true. It could be like my perspective and yeah. just like I would, you know, whatever. But in terms of belief, I, I would fall more towards, I, I think I do believe in, in good and evil. I would say that I don't think that many things really ever fall into one of those categories. Mm-hmm. I can, think, you know, can you give an there, example of like every, a place? Um, let me think. Or a person. Um, well, you know, I went to college in Tennessee in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and there were a lot of uh, Native American artifacts mm-hmm. uh, all around the campus that were sort of they weren't we were, we, as students we weren't encouraged to know about these because they didn't want people going and messing with them right um, and, I, and I there were certain places on, on and, and there was this huge out 10,000 acre domain to the University of the South in Suwannee wow. Tennessee and there was this huge 10,000 acre domain that the university owned which was mostly forested and um, and it was beautiful and uh, there were certain places that um, for whatever reason were really uh, dark and uh, kind of terrifying on a, on a on a level that I can't I can't really yeah describe and I, and I, I wonder if something really um, Strange. Hello. Hey, are you still there? Yeah, sorry. I, my phone just called somebody. Sorry. That's kind of funny. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> you had but, me on uh, the edge of my yeah, seat. You so, were like, I wonder if something oh, so, happened yeah. that was. <laughs> and it was just no, silent. Yeah, I, I wonder if something <laughs> happened in, in one of these places that that created like uh you know like a, a mass murder or or some sort of massacre or something or just some like really really emotionally uh destructive thing that the reverberations of that those actions and those people that suffering was left left an imprint on the physical space yeah and you know I, and i don't know if that's evil but mm-hmm. feelings of suffering and horror i i think that um those, uh, yeah, I guess I'm not sure if that's evil, but I, you know, it it, it might as well be. Uh, it's in the same. It's just kind of a similar flavor. Yeah. So that that that's like uh, an example of a place, like just. Mm-hmm. And I can't be more specific than that, but right. there were certain places on on campus that were definitely like, and not on campus like at the quad or whatever, but it's like out in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um. Um. And. Uh, yeah, and certain people, uh, you know, I remember one time I, I was at a, it was a Willie Nelson concert in Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> and All right. there, there was a guy in the audience, and uh, I was just really having a hard time. I don't know for what reason, you know, mm-hmm. but I was really having a hard time being in a physical space next to this person. And Was this I, a stranger? I was talking to one of my friends. Huh? Was this a stranger? Yeah, it was a stranger. Okay. It was a stranger. And I ended up talking to one of my friends uh, later that night, 
and we had this and he was an atheist mm-hmm. at the time and I remember saying like man there was this guy I was like you remember that guy that was blah 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 I was like I was getting like this really crazy and my friend was like he broke down in tears this is an atheist he broke down in tears and said like it's the most spiritually unnerving experience that he'd ever had by being in the presence of this person and we we, we didn't talk about it at the time but there was like there was something going on with this individual that we wow. were picking up on um, and and so these and, and to the point where an atheist basically after that my friend was not really an atheist anymore he was like he had sort of convinced himself that there were maybe not a god or a, he didn't become something. a theist but he became something of a, a spiritualist where there are these entities that we cannot um, we can't understand and mm-hmm. that makes like total sense to me because our brains are not utilized in their fullest capacity or whatever and how could we possibly understand what, what all is going on yeah there's different um, there's different realities out there man there's so much we don't see there's so much we don't yeah. see and, and not even see but like you know what about these other dimensions these ten other dimensions or whatever that, <laughs> yeah. that presumably exist that, uh, that we can't even we can't even participate in that whatever you know what I'm saying so I, for me personally I think that I do believe um, in, in, in the idea of good and evil but I can't say that those are pure ideas everything mm-hmm. is mingled right um, in a sense was, um, was that person maybe not everything was he doing anything Does he was he... acting sort of erratically but not in a way that was, that was threatening Right. It was just there was this chaotic kind of feeling. I don't even know if it was chaotic, but it was like there was. There, I still think about that guy sometimes. I'm like, oh man, I was like really. There was something that was really off. Mm. Uh, I, he, you know, I can't, I can't be, I can't speak specifically, but he was. Um, <laughs> other than to say, like, yeah, he, spiritually, I was, I was really. I, and actually, I don't get frightened spiritually. That, that's a that, that's something I thought you know that in the in the Christian tradition mm-hmm. as a you know, growing up is like my my parents were they they still are pretty devout Christians, um, but not in the fire and brimstone way. Right. Everything I got from growing up in the Christian church was actually a, a pretty wonderful. Uh, loving experience. It was all about Christ's love and, mm-hmm. and the message of love. And so I, I wasn't ever really afraid. The only thing I was ever afraid of uh, in terms of the Christian Christianity was my my friends going to hell because they didn't yeah, believe yeah. In, in Jesus. Yeah, right. That's what primarily concerned me, especially in high school. And at a certain point, I um, I don't I don't believe in hell anymore. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so at a certain point, I. I I've kind of basically decided that that's a, one of the most absurd ideas <laughs> that um, that humans have concocted. That, that, that when you you know somehow we all these humans live, and then when we die, like you know ninety five out of a hundred of us or more <laughs> go and are tortured for eternity. That's right? not it's it. Like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And what? How would that? How does that square with anything in the Bible? It doesn't. Mm-hmm. So it's not even consistent with. It's its own self, and I've talked to several Christians about this, and they, they're, I, I don't know what what the 
deal is why why people are just so intent on believing that people die and go to hell. But anyway, that's part of a lot of people's belief systems. So that 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 was something that was the only frightening aspect of Christianity for me growing up was that my that people would go to hell. Me too, like I, man. I me was too. Consumed by that by that idea, and uh, so um, what was my original point? It was that uh, it was that. Uh, damn. I'm, Losing my train of thought here. That's all right. But, you, you said a lot of cool when stuff. I think of, it was when I think of Christianity. I, I have only sort of good, um, good feelings about it, and I realize that most people don't feel that way. You know, and it, this is a, a, in a in a way a position of privilege that I have given. You know, a variety of aspects of my life, but um, but I I think that um, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I can't remember what I, where I was going with that, other than mm-hmm. to say that um, uh, that I, I, you know, my spirituality is informed by that, and that I, I think it's I find it healthy and I find it comforting rather than like a burden. Yeah, I I had the same thing. I was raised Catholic, and by the time I was a teenager, uh, I just kind of got the feeling like, okay, something's like off here, and I think that pushed me into like. I don't think I was ever atheist because I was never able to say like there is or isn't anything, but I just was like, okay, Christian God, that's not it. Like there's not some bearded dude up there pulling puppet strings. That just wasn't the vibe for me. But then, yeah, I had like a, right. a real aversion to Christianity for many years. Like I judged Christians, which is hilarious. <laughs> I judged them for being so judgmental. You know, I avoided uh, church and stuff. And then I would say within the past five years or so, maybe even less than that is when I've come come into much new realms of spirituality where like now there's nothing there's nothing that's off limits in there you know Christianity is just another one of the stories that's being told but whatever it is God thusness you know consciousness whatever it is anyone wants to call it it's all the same story it's all the same thing you know it's all made up of the same stuff so what we call it is just relative um and i I think hell and heaven are just really good stories, you know? They're really good. They're really big map markers that help people kind of look at themselves on some sort of scale of good and bad. But yeah, I, th- I think it's just been misinterpreted as like a fear tactic. And that's that's the main thing that kind of drove me away from certain teachings of Christianity is like this sort of indebted servant relationship with God because that's just not how it is like I'm not I don't want to be constantly looking over my shoulder but also being love all the time you know I don't think you can have both I think the nature of it is just love that's it you know what what's the point of all of it if you're you're just gonna go burn forever like come on man my friend and I were actually having a really funny talk yesterday (laughs) we have this talk occasionally but it's the joke of like like if I am wrong, like damn, you got me, you know. <laughs> like, like if I if I do die and go to hell, it's like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> like, all right, yeah, I mean, this yeah. is weird, but you win, man. <laughs> but um, yeah, in in a lot of Hindu yeah, texts, right. bummer, bummer. <laughs> yeah, like big bummer, man. I was wrong. Man, I got, <laughs> yeah, I was wrong, and I got screwed for it. <laughs> I was way off. <laughs> but th- but then I just think like, why would Christian God create, you know? millions of people who never once come across his literature you know what i mean like so many humans come into existence that never in their entire lives hear anything about christian god or hell or heaven in that way 
Like, do they just get sent to hell anyways, just for, because they were born? That's, not... that's one of the major flaws there in the whole the whole thing is that, yeah, what you just said. I mean, that, that it doesn't make any sense. Um, on a, I mean, the whole, none of it really makes sense. Of, <laughs> uh, so, I, pointing out, and this has been pointed out to me by. You know, we, I used to have these conversations with my friends all the time. Yeah. And mo- most of my friends in the sciences and, you know, in the artistic communities are, are atheists or agnostics at some point. So it's like everybody likes to pile it on to the person who's sort of spiritual. It's specifically spiritual coming from a, a organized religious perspective. But mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, none of it, none of it makes sense. And so if you're going to point out one uh, inconsistency like well hell doesn't make any sense they're like yeah well neither does you know somebody dying somebody like God manifesting itself uh, as a human and then it dying and then being a bridge to heaven that doesn't make any sense well okay like uh, but hell really doesn't make any sense <laughs> you know if anything I can I can appreciate the idea of there being a um, omnipotent force mm-hmm. like I, I, I don't I don't think that that's out of the question yeah um, uh, and actually, I think it's probably. Well, I don't. I don't know. It, it seems. It seems that's. I'm okay with that idea mm-hmm. of there being a god. Yeah. Um, but I. It, it, and given that, it makes sense that every once in a while a human would appear, that would be, you know, at least in part a manifestation of that pureness and goodness, where it's like. It, that, that part of the story always sort of I was okay with okay mm-hmm. the God has God has these creatures that he, that he that I, we're gonna genderize God here <laughs> to say he just for the sake of he, he, but God has a thing that he's made you know and like in the Bible at some point it says you know there are Jesus is talking to some people and he said there are other flocks and other shepherds besides me mm-hmm. you know so what does that mean I have no idea my mom brings that up to me quite a bit you know because that's why I used to say, like, well, what about all these people that don't know about Jesus? And my mom says, well, Jesus said there are other flocks and other shepherds besides him. And I was like, well, that's cool. But anyway, it makes sense that, like, if a, if a god did exist, that the god would want to plant little mini-gods around to kind yeah, of man. the people that he's created. So that makes sense to me. Having a... It's like, the, the hell part just absolutely... In no way, in no way does that fit this this model. Other than the fact that, like, it does make sense that there would be a dark side, but like the idea that everybody's going there, unless you, unless like the one, like Jesus, like he is the, the only way mm-hmm. that that's what I, I don't think that I don't, I don't really agree. It's Jesus is the only way. Well, yeah, man, I'm, I'll, I'll say a few things. You got me laid up. Um, G- Jesus, okay. Jesus said the words you hear are not mine. So Jesus was just, huh. Jesus was Buddha, Jesus was <laughs> Muhammad, you know, all all sorts of prophets and and ancient texts suggest that God is not some fella or thing, it's the the energy that is in every single living thing. And sometimes that living thing wakes up and realizes that it is God itself, Allah Jesus, and then Jesus is like, hey, I don't know if you guys know this, you know, but we are all this thing. I just want to let you know, you know, and that's how gurus are born. That's how teachers 
go on is they're your they're your doorway to God. They're your, you know, inflection. And Alan Watts has a really interesting example that he uses about God where he describes God as this eternal consciousness. You know, it flows through all being, all living things. And God got bored of just being, you know, alone as God in space for a while. And so it found itself in other incarnations as humans or animals or whatever you want to say. And it plays a game where it pretends that it doesn't know that it's itself. And that's how we have war and disagreements and academia and, you know, all the things that make us separate from each other. You know, my identity is Keaton, your identity is Barry. Because it's fun to watch. It's it's wild. Like what we were just talking about with opinions. How cool is it that there's no absolute truth and that it's entirely relative and that I can have an opinion that you don't agree with whatsoever and vice versa. Like it's, it's just a matter of play and then comes along now and again, people who, you know, that's where enlightenment happens. Awakening happens where the people wake up like Jesus, like any sort of prophet or, or, or guru. And they recognize that they are exactly the same as everything around them. And they become a, a mirror for that, you know, and then that's why there's so many. That's why there's just different, different stories all saying relatively, you know, the same thing. The, the religions are really quite similar. And there's a... That's beautiful. There's a Hindu... Um, it's a sort of like folklore, but it's the hypothesis that like the the earth or the universe goes through many stages where sometimes God is entirely at one and it's at peace and there's no ego, there's no suffering, there's no, you know, war, famine, etc. It's just like this one hum bliss sort of thing. And that happens for millions of years. And then there are other passages in time where God doesn't know that it is God. And it walks around being confused and confusing its identity. And, you know, the, the thought process is that potentially that's where we are now in the history of time is that we're just walking around blind to the fact that we are all of the same source. And that's how that's how things happen with war. And that's how people get taken advantage of is because there's the illusion that we are different from each other. You know, and, and it's a balance. It happens it happens so that it happens. And then sometimes it'll come back. And that that's the point of the true point, I think, like what you're talking about with love and with soul and spirit is that like the more open you are, the more open others can be, and it's crazy how it just like springs like a flower. And that's that's all people like Jesus was saying, it was just like, Hey, it's it's all right, guys. <laughs> like we're we're taking this way out of context. It's not so it's not so big a deal. Yeah, no, that's 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 wonderful. So that's how I view it, man. Um, I yeah, I I, I just mean, meet I, every I, person. I haven't studied much comparative religion or, or studied other religions much at all. I haven't. The only studying I've done of, of the Christian religion is being imbued by it as a kid. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, you know, I think it's probably something that I will get more into as I get a little older. Is like yeah. actually reading other other texts of, um, but that's, that's really inspiring what, what you're saying. Um, and it, it, I, I, you know, I don't know about the folklore idea of, of God being confused and that's where we are right now, but that is an interesting, <laughs> that's an yeah. interesting idea. Um, uh, you know, I, it, 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 I, I view <laughs> human evolution, uh, well, 
whatever. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if it could be any different than it is. Yeah. Probably, probably good. You know, I, I, I suppose I, given how many stars and planets there are, um, it makes sense that there there would be other places that are almost exactly the same as they are on Earth. Mm-hmm. And and every variation that you could possibly you know imagine. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you, you you follow what I'm saying. Like, that given the yeah. the sheer number of, of of galaxies with billions, hundreds of billions of stars in each in each galaxy, not even the chances of there being not even to mention parallel universes. <laughs> well, yeah, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, actually, that isn't what I'm talking about. Not even to mention exactly right other universes. <laughs> um. Just in this one, and, yeah. And, and something I bring up to my my all most of my geology classes uh, in the first couple of days is that you know the, the Big Bang. Um, now I remember what I was going to say earlier, but it doesn't matter. The Big Bang uh, is conventionally interpreted by science. It happened about thirteen point eight billion years ago, mm-hmm. and the Sun. And the Earth uh, uh, formed about four and a half billion years ago. So that's like before the Sun and the Earth formed after the Big Bang. The, the Sun is supposedly like a fourth or fifth generation star after the Big Bang. So there's several generations of stars that occurred before the Sun, mm-hmm. before some nebula exploded and the Sun formed. Right. So there's all these stars that happened um, before the Sun. And so there's something like nine billion years of uh, <laughs> history since the Big Bang occurred, since this Big Bang occurred, you know. Um, it's so inconceivable. Which, it, it is inconceivable, but when you think about like, you know, okay, so the Earth formed four and a half billion years ago, and it took humans basically four and a half billion years to evolve, assuming we evolved on Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened in those nine billion years before Earth formed? You know, there, there, there's statistically, and it's almost inconceivable that there are not highly, 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 highly advanced uh, societies out there cruising around the stars, you know, uh, and u- utilizing energies that we can't conceive of yet, like light or whatever, you know. Yeah. Science fiction novels are, are ripe with this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, in terms, of, I think of it in terms of just the, the statistics. It's like it, it's it's almost it's it's inconceivable to me that, that there are not that we are not one of those planets like in, in Star Trek where the Enterprise is cruising by. <laughs> oh, that's a Class C planet, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, their uh, industrial industrial agricultural revolution is uh, you know they're just thirty years into it, and uh, you know, <laughs> best, best leave them alone. We're not really gonna. So I mean, I think that you know it's a good chance that we are one of these like planets that, that other people, other alien species sort of regard as like a, a sprout in the right. Garden. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think of like, um, and so where does God fall in all that? <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, I think God is all that man. Whatever is, yeah, out, right. whatever is out there that is, is God <laughs> or thusness or, you know, whatever name you want to call it. I, I think God is a tough word to use sometimes because it's so rooted in like sure. Christianity sometimes. But yeah, it's 
There is. That's that's as far as we got. The things are. That's about it. Like rather than not, they are, <laughs> and that's just a, a yep. miracle. But yeah, I think of like Interstellar or two thousand one or Arrival when I think of, you know, other species. Where like they're they're not operating on the level that we're operating on. You know, like in two thousand one at the end when there's the giant baby, like that's the next evolution in human consciousness is being beyond, beyond words, beyond space, beyond time, like not even at all interested in the things that we get worked up about. So I think it's entirely the case or possible that so many different other beings have found our planet and been like, oh, you know, like you don't walk into the woods and stop and sit with a pile of micro organisms and say like, what's going on down there, guys? Like, what are we doing? What, uh, what are you dealing right. with? We just walk right, right by it. Cause it's not even kind of on our plate. And I think that's that's how it is for yeah. There's there's much more in the evolution that's beyond beyond the physical reality. But I think. In a, my, the, the, my friend Ben Dames, who actually played drums on one of the tracks on the Should Have Zenith album, he uh, we were in the we were both in the band Rosewood Bone, and we were touring, and and we were just sitting around talking in the van, and, and we were talking along these lines, and we. Somebody meant Ben out of nowhere. He didn't talk very much, but I don't know where he mm-hmm. goes. He was like, "Oh, you never know, man. Oysters could be the masters of the universe for all we know." Holy <laughs> 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 shit! It was great. You know, it's like that—that's the kind of stuff that—that's that's what we're talking about. Like these oysters, uh, what are they? Just these gelatinous blobs? But like, we really don't know. You know? I mean, look at like, mushrooms, man. The idea of the, uh, yeah, or, or octopi. Right. Just like these weird. Like, the way trees work, the way they can send signals to each other underground via mushroom mycelium, like, that stuff is so far out. (laughs) Like, they are conscious, and it's not even, like, like, like so many things, we can't even conceive of what that kind of consciousness looks like or feels like, you know. It's just, if if you go up and feel a tree, like, that tree is a a person. (laughs) It's it's weird. Yep. All right, man. Tree hugger, I am. We've had quite the chat here. We're at a little, yeah. and we have we haven't we even talked about music. <laughs> no, I haven't. You said oh, about music, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm into music. Uh, you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> where do you want to start? You said you collect records, right? Oh yeah, son. What do you I got? I have a lot of records, and I I would li- I would play more music if I didn't listen to as many records. I, I've kind of gotten. Um, it's the one thing that I allow myself to go out and go into a store these days. Is I, I'll go to a record store because there are usually not too many people in there, and uh-huh. the ones in Portland they'll, they'll they limit the amount of people they can go in. And mm. So I, I, you know, I, yeah. What have you? Been... I, I wouldn't say I collect records, although oh. I do buy a lot of them. <laughs> I'm, I'm making a distinction here for myself. It's <laughs> like instead of being an archivist, I'm a I'm a partier. I like to play records and listen to them. You know yes. what I'm saying? Yeah, I feel you. Yeah, you got to make them your friends. You got to give them love and show them, show them energy, or else they'll just sit there. And why are they sitting there? Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of records just sitting here, but I I try to <laughs> play every record that I buy. Mm-hmm. What have you been buying lately? Um, I have been buying uh, a lot of stuff. I have been buying a lot of 
Well, let's see. I've been listening to a lot of uh, jazz, and I generally listen to a lot of jazz anyway, but um, I've been into these... Uh, are you familiar with the Blue Note Tone Poet series? Um. It's, they're, they're releasing... They're releasing these sort of uh, B B titles, uh, well, B to C titles. That you know, a lot of these were sessions that were recorded in the early '60s or late '50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they didn't they didn't come out at the time because for whatever reason Alfred Lyon decided that he didn't think that was appropriate for Blue Note at the time, so they just sat in the vault. And then a lot of times these things would get released in like the late '70s or early '80s with terrible packaging and right. and uh, terrible uh, pressing or, or whatever, or Japanese only or something like that. And so they're re- reissuing these like wonderful sessions. Um, so like Lee Morgan, I've, I've been getting sort of into, I, I've, I've, I've sort of like not really been into trumpeters uh, ever. Uh-huh. I, I love Miles Davis and I like John Hassel, but um, trumpeters have had a hard time. I don't know if it's the, it's the pitch of the instrument or, or whatever, but but I, but I've been getting more into like I've been getting more into trumpet recently. Mm. Not, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm into trumpet, but like Lee Morgan. No, you're into Donald, trumpet on on record. <laughs> Lee Morgan, Donald Byrd, uh, Don Cherry. Uh, even though Don Cherry's a whole different conversation, but um, so that kind of stuff. And Grant Green, like I've been getting into listening to like guitar player i Kenny love Burrell. grant green man that guy melts oh, me man. yeah have you heard this album nigeria yes i have yes i have that's one of these that they just reissued i don't have it um but it you know i don't, I don't want to trigger anybody by mentioning uh, streaming services but uh <laughs> i do subscribe to spotify oh god that's like not cool these days but <laughs> Uh, I also buy a shit ton of music, so I'm I, I'm not qualified to really talk about this because I, I just want it all, you know. And yeah. I can't, I literally can't afford to buy as many records as I want to. Although I do buy a lot of records, so I I, I hear that. Spotify. Man. I hear Blue that. Notes, Blue Notes' entire catalog is on Spotify. The yes, whole it fucking is. Catalog. So it's it's amazing. Um, you just anyway, get lost. So I've been looking. Oh yeah, in a, in, a, in the best way possible. Bobby Hutch, um, let, let's see. Yeah, Bobby Hutcherson. I've been digging uh, some of his uh, his albums, The Kicker and Oblique. Mm. Um, have you heard of this guitar player, Calvin Keys? No, I haven't. They just—it's on a label, Black Jazz, and they just reissued this album called Shawnique. Mm-hmm. Um, which is it's just a beautiful uh, early 70s like guitar led um, and I thought it was I'd never heard it I bought it my friend was like you gotta get this so I <laughs> got it and lots of times if I know I'm gonna buy a record I won't like listen to it ahead of time you know cause yeah like, right, right. Listen to the record. me too yeah but I thought it was gonna be a free jazz record and it's like a it's like a soul uh, mm. it's like a kind of crunchy soul jazz um excursion it's just wonderful this calvin keys record um so lots of lots of that kind of stuff i've been in i was last year i got really into don cherry's music after sort of having a um a hard time getting into don cherry do you have a suggestion i i favorite 
a suggestion? Yeah, yeah. like where to start? Um, yeah, like, I don't know. For me, it was the albums in the, in the mid to late 70s, like uh, the Organic Music Society or Brown Rice or his work with the band Kadona. So there's okay. three Kadona albums. Not, I like the third one the best right now although all three of them are great oh wow i'm looking at a um, album cover right now it's really far out so don cherry's wife moki cherry did all these uh, t- uh uh textile tapestry things and that's probably what you're looking at wow the really super colorful intricate uh, yeah these are crazy covers. she played yeah yeah so he did a lot of like um he worked with Ornette Coleman in the late in the uh, late fifties through the through his entire career, but especially in those early fifties and sixties days, it was Ornette Coleman and Don Cherry. They were like the sax pocket trumpet, like they were like each other's dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I, I appreciate that stuff. But in terms of like hitting me in an emotional spot, it's this mid seventies like almost world music um, soul. Uh, jazz folk fusion stuff and i mm. you know i used to brush bristle at the word fusion uh, <laughs> i'm getting I'm, I'm cozying up to it because i you know it, you can you can do more than fuse jazz and rock you can fuse jazz with other things <laughs> right, right. like whatever I, I i like you know when i was younger i you know i had all these strong opinions and i realized that you know a lot of those opinions are evolving yeah you realize that your opinions evolve um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of that stuff. Um, there's a great album release uh, reissued last year called Home Shanti Om, which is the Don Cherry record, which is really good. I've been listening to a lot of uh, bluegrass recently. Whoa! I, mean, I go I go in and out with bluegrass. Because, Interesting. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I used to play banjo, bluegrass banjo. Oh no way! And. Yeah, and my dad, my dad plays bass. Um, he's in a bluegrass band. And, you know, it's just like, I'm from Tennessee, so it's just part of the thing that you, you hear bluegrass all the time. and um, uh, Not all the time, but, you know, it wasn't out of the ordinary to, for, what, for mm-hmm. whatever, you know. And so I got into banjo um, when I was in my early 20s and um, wanted to play bluegrass banjo, realized that like, that wasn't really my, my journey. <laughs> um, but not before I, I spent several years trying to do that and playing bluegrass. Um, so I've been listening to a lot of Ralph Stanley and the Clinch Mountain Boys with this, especially mm. uh, in the late 70s with this singer. Have you ever heard of Keith Whitley? No. He's a country singer. And he, he died really young in, in the mid-80s. But he's like one of these voices that's just like a really, really great uh-huh. um, country voice. And uh, he he sang lead vocals in Ralph Stanley's band for a few years. And my friend uh, Rob Smith, who is the drummer in this band, Rikon, uh, in New York City, and he also drummed for Pigeons. I don't know if you've heard of either of those groups. No. Nope. They're, they're really great. Um, my friend Rob Smith, incredible drummer, just like my favorite drummer, probably the you know, best drummer, not probably, the best drummer I've ever played with, and I, I love wow. uh, 
Rob is he's like one of my my brothers, but he we've been kind of he's sending me he's he gets on these tears and he's like you dude you gotta check this out <laughs> and it and it's like Keith Whitley with Ralph Ralph Stanley and the Clinch Mountain Boys and you know I never know what Rob's gonna be into ne- get into it next but we're always seem to be like kind of vibing on mm-hmm. that thing uh, yeah so you know a lot of bluegrass what else I don't I don't know if like oh if you you know this um, an album I got recently that's really beautiful is on uh, feeding tube and it's Wednesday Knudsen and Willie Lane whoa what is that it's called uh, it's called Long Time Till Tomorrow and it's uh, it's a guitar and uh, it's a duo but it's like guitar and then Wednesday plays like flute saxophone and guitar and it's it's, it's real minimal and it's just beautiful hmm. I highly recommend checking that out I will um yeah. Another record I got recently that I love is uh, on International An- International Anthem. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's that label out of Chicago? I don't know. They put out like modern modern jazz. Let me let me make sure so I'm not misquoting. Because <laughs> yeah, International Anthem Recording Company. Um, and it's uh, the album is Desron Douglas and Brandy Younger. Hmm. And it's like Force Majeure is the title. And it's wonderful. It's bass and heart. And huh. it's like, you know, they riff on sort of on some Alice Coltrane stuff. And oh, wow, the cover is beautiful. Pharaoh Sanders stuff. And uh, it's, it's wonderful. That's also on streaming services. So you can, But I, I heard that in a record store. I was shopping and they played it. And I was like, oh, got to have this. Do you buy it? Do you usually buy in record stores or do you buy like, do you ever buy from Bandcamp or anything? Yeah, I definitely buy from Bandcamp. I buy from uh, I buy from everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I buy from Discogs too. Um, Discogs buy, is funny, from, man. I sure. I just got a copy today. Have you seen Soul, that Disney movie? Uh, what's it called? Soul. S O L or S O U L? S O U L. It's the newest Disney Pixar film. No, no. Is it good? Okay, well, first of all, man, you got to watch it because considering our chat today, it's gonna, it'll probably rustle a bunch of stuff in you. Anyways, I got a copy of it on Discogs, and it's funny because I got the, um, the I got the score, and there's a clear pressing that was only at like Target, <laughs> and it's going for like sixty, oh, nice. sixteen up, and I got a copy for like twenty two shipped. The only thing is, it said like corner crushed, and I was like, hmm. Okay. I'm not like super particular about the condition. Like if it's like, I kind of like, like I don't know. If it's got a little bit of personality, it's got some personality. I was picturing it being like destroyed, and I got it today. It was sealed, and there's like a little tiny like it looks like somebody just pressed their finger in the corner for a second, and I just thought it was so funny. You talking about the the corner of the jacket? Yeah, not even. Yeah, it completely sealed. Not even the record. No, the record's completely fine. Every it was sealed. Stickers were on it. It was just like a very small. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I was like, wow, people are particular. I'm that's not. That's a success story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's people. Yeah, Discogs is funny, and people are funny. Like they want. That's what I don't truly understand. I the, I the older I get, the more slightly ornery I get about how the record sounds. Like if yeah, like yeah. if I'm gonna buy a you know a record of 
jazz ballads or something and it's cracked fucking crackling all that or what's even worse is when you're buying minimal or ambient music and oh shit yeah it's really super noisy pressing like i'd rather just have a cd or a tape you know <laughs> and i can't believe i'm saying cd but in the past like three months i got a, a component cd player off craigslist oh hell yeah so i'm playing cds again man <laughs> i have my yeah, receiver like, i have this amazing receiver by onkyo and it's just like a tiny little receiver that you can, I got my record player hook up to it, but it's also a CD receiver for no reason at all. So I can play CDs in it. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know why oh, they included it. Tray? Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, anyway. But people people get so fired up about like the artwork where it's like, yeah, I, 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 I can't really relate to that. I hope I never can. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, it's nice to have a good-looking record jacket, but I have, you know, whatever. I have so many records. That Do you put them in plastic sleeves? Play. Sometimes. Sometimes. If it's a nice record, I will. <laughs> Are you on Discogs then? Do you have all your stuff, like, loaded up, and do you keep track of it? Um, I, I am on Discogs. I don't have... Uh, I Mostly what I have on there is if it's I don't have all my stuff loaded up like I loaded up all the like Sun Ra records I have and all the Merle Haggard records and uh -huh. all the Coltrane records it's like sometimes if I'm at a uh, store and I'm like oh wow I can't and, and this is this is at the point where you should realize just like don't fucking buy it then <laughs> like I can't remember if I have it or not you know I should just say to myself don't buy it but now I'm like oh well you know god I you know I might need this or like these uh, these UNESCO collections of world music it's like do I have um, you know India 2 or do I only have 1 and 3 I don't know <laughs> well you should you should uh, take so the time and upload them man I'm, I'm, you think I should take the time and upload yeah I do I'm, I'm really curious what you got in your collection I mean this is a selfish well there's a bunch of shit on there right now probably several hundred titles that you can look at that's enough um, I'll send you my um, I'll send you my for sure name. it's hard to it wouldn't make any sense I got I got a question I'm very young so child having a child is not on my map at the moment but whenever I buy a record or oftentimes when I buy a record I get this feeling of like a part of why I'm doing it is so that when I have kids they'll be able to look at my my collection and just think I'm like a really cool dad <laughs> Have you had that feeling at all, or are you excited for that at all? Um, I I have not specifically thought that, but I um, but thinking about it, I have not thought about it. But like, what I'm imagining is that my my daughter is, and if we have another kid, maybe we're you know mm -hmm. we're talking about it. We don't know. It's a lot of work to have a kid. Um to say the least it, it's like uh, I'm imagining that they're gonna grow up and not give a fuck about the, the, all the records they're gonna be like oh my god get these records out of my face you know it's like oh but don't you wanna you know listen to this uh, or whatever and it's like no no I wanna listen to whatever the newest pop music is and, and I'm, I'm just guy kind of like fortifying myself for that inevitability but perhaps it won't be true you know like, we were talking about this yesterday. It's like, well, you know, we're going to probably, my wife and I, it's like, we're going to start 
you know, get her a, a violin. She's gonna she's gonna be a fiddler. It's like, I was like, well, she might not want to play the fiddle. <laughs> like, well, it doesn't matter. She wants to play the fiddle. She's going to play the fiddle. And she's also going to play the piano. Oh right, right. Okay. Well, I yeah. I I wish that somebody had just forced me to play the fiddle when I was a kid. But you know, so I think that's what you know. I think that's what we're gonna do. So in terms of the question you're asking, uh, <laughs> I. I, I, I de- it's definitely crossed my mind. I hope that my child slash children will get, you know, uh, get will, will be like when they get, you know, because at a certain point a kid will probably get to be like my dad didn't have a bunch of records. He had this one little crate with probably like a foot deep of records. Wow. And, and you know what? The one that was always in front what? was that, you know, that Asia record with the fucking weird like Hydra Serpent on the cover. Do you know this record? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, well, write this down and look it up because it's a crazy cover. It's, I think it's the guy, Roger Dean, who did all the Yes records. Okay. He was the artist. And the, the album, the band is called Asia, uh-huh. like the continent. And uh, I don't know what the album was called, but it was always the one sitting right out front. And I remember looking at that all the time and being like, whoa, man, that is the trippiest. Is it the self-titled? Well, it looks like it's self-titled. Thing. Yeah, the, the one with the, the weird serpent beast on it. Yep, it's in the water. There's a big moon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. So that's the one I remember. That's like the one record I remember seeing as a kid, because <laughs> it's sitting up front. But my dad didn't really have he was didn't have an accessible record player that I could. You know, he had like a nice he had like a nice turntable with a nice system that I pretty much wasn't allowed to touch. You know? Right, right. And so what we're gonna. Our, my idea, our, my wife and I's idea is like we're gonna have uh, a record player that the kid can can use mm. when she wants to, and she's allowed to she be allowed to play the record. So I I do hope that our child at a certain point when she actually becomes interested in music outside of um, whatever is like kids want to listen to, she'll like go and start pulling out random, you know fucking Rajasthani folk <laughs> tunes and be like, whoa, what's this? And put it on it. And, and then realize that there's an endless supply of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, at that, you know, at this point, kids can do that on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever. So, uh, um, I guess it, it, you know, who knows? It might be anachronistic uh, at that point or <laughs> maybe it is now, but you know, there's something when you're a kid pulling out like a record sleeve, like it's like this big thing. You can it's right. huge in your hands, and well, we all know the we all know the obsession of the the physical thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, holy cow, man! I think uh, I think we might call it here with the chat. Um, oh, okay. If you want, we cool. should schedule another talk soon. Maybe make that one exclusively about uh, the album that you worked on. <laughs> Because we didn't talk about okay. it for one moment. <laughs> no, we didn't. And I, I don't, what kind of um, so is this? Was, is this going to be about the North Americans uh, album? Um, or what do you? What's the article on? Or do you? Are you want to say? This is just a podcast. This is just. Oh yeah. It's a, everything. Oh, so everything we've said is just going to be there. <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't edit it. Okay. I don't, uh, I usually do like an intro at the beginning where I talk for a little bit, usually about something that's has nothing to do with it, and then I just let it ride. 
And I've already talked to uh, Patrick and Brian, so I was going to do like a triple episode where I had all three at once, but that's going to be like a three-hour episode if I do that. So I'll probably publish them all in the same weekend or something. I don't know. But yeah. Holy Lord. <laughs> I, I forgot that this was going to be a podcast. I've never done, um, as, you know, I think I've done one or two interviews before this. Uh-huh. Maybe just one. And I've done a few now, and this has definitely been, you know, the last one I started to feel like, all right, I'm just like, the, kind of the same questions are, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like people are asking this. No, I hear uh, you, man. I hear you. I don't want to sound, I don't want to sound like uh, uh, ungrateful or, or, or whatever to be able yeah. to talk about the music, but like at a certain point, it's like, I don't know how many more times I can talk about <laughs> what ambient is and like why that, you know. You know what I'm saying? Like, I hear you, yeah, man. Music doesn't re- that word doesn't mean anything anymore, except for the fact that the music is, you know, maybe slightly on the chill side of it. <laughs> um, so, anyway, I talked about that in other places, and it's like mm-hmm. I'm kind of getting tired. I don't care. I don't care. You call it ambient. Don't call it ambient. Um, I like. I like. I like it all. Whatever. So th- this has been an interesting experience because we didn't talk about the. Uh, anything that I've talked about previously. Yeah, man, this this is this is honestly a perfect example of like an interview that I look forward to. Just like something happens, and because I'm really interested in the person more so, you know, I I really I try not to write questions down. I really don't like to be like, so how was the thing that you worked on? How did it make you feel? What are your inspirations? Like, because you know those are fun questions, yeah. but then the interview's over in thirty minutes. I prefer stuff like this where yeah. we just talk about whatever comes about. And it's cool because, like, like yesterday I had an interview, and, you know, some people just, like, aren't really open. And, and that's cool. But, like, some people kind of want that. You know, they want to just talk about the work or they kind of want to keep it semi, you know, professional or whatever word you want to use. And that's that's all good and dandy. But it's nice when, like, chats like this where the person is just, like, you know, we're, we're just having a conversation. That's all. Just spending time with each other. Yeah. Well, no, and, and I think that you know, I I really appreciate this conversation because I don't get to have conversations uh, with too many people these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like we were talking about earlier. So uh, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Well, sure, man. Keep in touch. Uh, if you if you want if you want to talk again about the music, just let me know and we can do that. <laughs> okay, maybe, man. <laughs> but we're not. Yeah, yeah, or not. It's fine. I'm sure that Patrick talked enough about the music that we don't need to. You know what's I funny had a great is time playing on the album. Uh, Patrick Pat- sent me the tunes, and I, I had a wonderful time. So there you go. Patrick didn't really talk about the music at all either. He talked about fly fishing for about an hour. <laughs> oh no shit! Yeah, That's we did. Cool. We didn't really right. talk about the music either. Same with Brian. Brian didn't really talk about the album cover at all. Which you know, like I said, like. That's when I know an interview went well is when we don't actually talk about the thing that the interview is for. 